Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the uh, Hunter Biden foot job video of Extreme Metal Podcasts. Uh, I am the death metal guy, aka I would have reviewed your record, but my fibromyalgia was acting up that day. And I am the black metal guy, aka engorging the Cathedral of Dankness. <laughs> mm. I think, that's, oh, I think I, that's my nod to you, that's a brutal death metal song title. Uh, that, that could be. I've I've written stuff not too dissimilar from that. <laughs> Engorging the cathedral. Actually, my, one of my best ones that I still never got to use was uh, Irimate the Pious. It was just going to be about uh, throat-fucking nuns to death, which I thought was pretty cool. Isn't... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a fairly standard subject matter at this point, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's fairly standard, but I just, I, I no, I mean, I just, it's it's your own take on a traditional genre. Yeah, also, it is. I also, just, uh, YouTube, we mean YouTube, we mean fictionally throughout fucking nuns to death. <laughs> uh. Well, I don't have access to many in my everyday life, so <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what am I gonna? Where are you gonna find a nun? Where where, where am I gonna find a convent? You know. <laughs> Second of second of all, when are you gonna kind? Where are you gonna find the kind of nuns they have on the cover of Black Metal Records? They haven't exactly. made nuns like that since. They haven't made nuns like that since harlots were forced into convent. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, I gotta go back to all those awesome like '70s through early '90s like nuns gone astray movies. I should definitely. Uh, Create a little list of those for the listeners at one point. <laughs> All right. Well, this is definitely. I feel like that's definitely the most uh, NC seventeen intro we've had uh, of all time. So now, <laughs> now, guys, I hope you're. I hope you're ready for this salacious and sensual episode of Terminus, where we <laughs> give in to our basest desires. Terminus after dark, as Lonesome Spirits said one time. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. All right, so episode 38, and Black Metal Guy, what do we have in the greater Terminus co-prosperity sphere today? Well, um, on Instagram, I talk a lot with the guys from Rat King Records, which is an outfit in uh, the UK uh, who have sort of shifted gears from putting on shows and stuff towards doing a concerted, more concerted push towards labeled them uh and we did a new segment a while ago on a uh, icelandic uh dungeon synthy kind of project that they released that was pretty interesting um that was that weird kind of death dwarf stuff mm -hmm. um you know uh morkin salmar by Diflitsa. uh yeah yeah and this time and so they they've got a big uh set of releases now um Coming up, there's an album called Labascation by Carcinoma. Um, and that's pretty interesting stuff. That's sort of a take on this kind of highly modern, orthodox and hardcore and caverncore kind of influence stuff that we're seeing. They did a split with that band Abyssal that you brought on the show. Um, uh, Abyssal? And I mean, I, I've never brought Abyssal on the show. <laughs> Wait, wait, sorry, I'm confusing my, I'm confusing my sort of generic, uh, generic arty black metal band names. What was the one, uh, Hado, I think they did a split with Hado Pelagial. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm confusing them with the Oh, uh, uh, God damn it, what was their name again? It was, ba -ba 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 -ba, got it in front of me, Thorobos. No. 
Okay, never mind. And no, uh, let's see. No, and Carson, <laughs> uh, carcinoma. D- Whatever, I just, okay, I just, this was all uh, misinformation. Forget what I just said. Uh, um, <laughs> okay. th- it must have been someone else on the label. Um, you know, yeah, delete that from your brain. Anyway, interesting oh, it is, band it is called Carcinoma. Yeah. Okay. Interesting band called Carcinoma uh, coming up, and we will be reviewing that. That is out on, in the middle of the month. Uh, and right now, they've got a, uh, a sort of, teaser kind of single by a band called Trivax. T-R-I-V-A-X. Trivax has apparently been around a long time and was founded in Iran back in the day. Uh, Iran, I guess. And they've put out, uh, yeah, since 2009. Uh, But the guy has been based in London for a long time. Or Birmingham, sorry. Ugh, God. In, uh... (laughs) You're you're fucking up today, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, uh, we're recording later at night in uh, record in in Birmingham for a long time, and uh, this is what I get for not having my note window open in front of me. Uh, and um, and it's I you know I, I haven't heard their stuff up till now, but there's been a four year silence, right, or a five year silence. The last record was uh, Sin in 2016. Uh, so this is kind of like I suppose a reboot, right? You know. Um, and let's just, as, as a sort of cue, I'd say this is an interesting attempt at filling the kind of niche left behind by bands like Watain for sort of like, I'm thinking back to like Cass's Luciferi, for bands that did sort of like big arena scale black metal that was still recognizably black metal mm-hmm. or recognizably extreme metal or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see how that works in the post-COVID concert environment, right? But you can tell that these guys are a highly pop- highly rehearsed band that wants to play live, right? And wants to tour. So uh, this is from that big long track, Into the Void, about a minute in. Let's go.
think of that, death metal guy? You're, I think you're pretty on the money, uh, at least in what you said in the notes, where it does seem like an attempt to fit some of these distinctively orthodox kind of musical techniques into a sort of pop metal framework. And uh, surprisingly, it works pretty well. Like, maybe it maybe it's like a more logical place for some of those techniques to be. You know, these very, uh, you described it as kind of inorganic ideas that find themselves a little bit more comfortable within the, the, the clearly constructed kind of nature of a more popular style of music. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, you could. I, I, yeah, yeah. I see this. I, you're, yes, I think this is a good development of if you look back of the orthodox sound. If you look back at the sort of eh, Swedish and French orthodox sound in the you know late late aughts, early teens, right? Uh, you can see it branching. The biggest continuation of that has been the Icelandic scene, right? Uh, and those mm. guys. Uh, you can. They've got. They've got spirit. They've got high energy shows. You can say a lot for them but the i i've never thought those bands have yeah they they don't really (laughs) they they were maybe too proficient for their own good when they started and they didn't wrap they had it has taken them a very long time to wrap their ears around melody and i don't mean Mm -hmm. melody in the sense of like you know flowery flowery melody i mean just like riff shapes right it's tended towards this kind of shapeless abrasive scronk music right uh and they're moving in the right direction but it's taking a long time so this is seems like it's appealing to the same set of people it's got that same guitar tone right yeah that same kind of inorganic crystalline shimmering guitar tone that way back in the day comes from post-hardcore but uh but yeah it's it's got this really it's guided by these uh, melodic ideas, proper like chord changes, um, and it, to me, it really sounds like dissection under the surface. Uh, halfway yeah. between the more ballady, halfway between the ballady parts of um, uh, Storm of the Lights, Bane, and uh, you know the uh, the legendary final album. Well, it also sounds a lot like uh, Late uh, Immortal in a way. I hear that for sure. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like, you know, a thing would be that the the Icelandic style stuff comes on as this very abrasive kind of uh, highly extreme and accessible music, but it functions as arena black metal. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, it has this sort of cool guy leather jacket image. It's quite popular with the press. It's all over, you know, uh, those, it and, it, and it has this big booming sound, right? You know, uh, this band is sort of writing music specifically for that context. Um, and as far as the dissection thing also, like, I think it even comes down to the name, like Trivax. Anytime I see Tri, uh, dissection used all this, right? They were into the sort of anti-cosmic mysticism. They invoked a lot of Hindu or kind of Eastern stuff. Uh this imagery of a trident comes up again and again. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, like, there's that band, Trident, right? Which yeah. shares a member with Dissection. And Watain uh, was always using and, the um, tridents on their stuff. E- exactly. So I think this is very much in that vein. And I was thinking that it's about as close as you can get to a literal musical cult. 
like in a cool <laughs> way like john like if you think about like you know somebody like burzum right has always had a fairly coherent ideological bent to it and it's influenced a ton of bands right but not in the same way like where whereas like dissection has like followers like people who are working in his spiritual tradition and basically using the same symbols um yeah we also got some cool lyrics uh which i can get behind there's some stuff in uh i think uh, hindi or whatever variant of variant of indian language uh but um cool line in in this uh in total detachment i let the forces flow through me into me and from me for the eye is no longer there but ecstasy and power in total death oh that just sounds like dissection lyrics so <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true yeah uh, so yeah i think this is promising and interesting and i think um in terms of what i would like to see at a, at a large venue um this is this is promising. Also, I would say that this song is very long, and on the back end, it it does something that both you and I would consider highly objectionable. But then, <laughs> then not just in spite, but almost because of it, pulls it out in a really kind of cool way that I don't want to give away. But so there's a lot happens in this song, and it was really the la very last part of it that sold me. All right. Yeah, no, it, it sounded pretty cool. I'll check that out definitely on my own time. So, uh, real quick, before we get on to our roundup for the day, uh, as usual, the best way to stay in touch with us and develop your parasocial relationship with the podcast known as Terminus is by following us on social media. You can follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook over at Terminus Podcast or on Instagram following the Black Metal Guy at Terminus Extreme Metal. Additionally, if you're truly dedicated to the cause of us destroying music journalism forever in uh, a great plume of nuclear fire, uh, you can donate to that process by following us on either Patreon or, if you're a real weirdo with a Proton Mail account, Subscribestar. $3 and up gives you access to all of the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, and $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server where we discuss the sissy of Fremont Street and our favorite absurd bangers from yesteryear. Damn, I'm getting good. Right. I'm getting better at this every single time, man. God, it's a, that was pretty good. Yeah, you <laughs> you really yeah at this point you you just sort of uh, random generate these phrases and they're all on the money. Um, oh yeah, yeah. No, I right. just uh, as I'm as I'm rattling it off, I always just remember. Uh, okay, so what's like? Uh, it's the last couple things I remember from the uh, from the Discord server. Uh, how do I make fun of our fans again? You know, etc. etc. So <laughs> the death metal guy, the uh, the Lil Wayne of uh, extreme metal podcast intros. <laughs> the carter three and earlier only please <laughs> um so uh cool records this week very cool ones and you've got the opening pair what have you got yeah i think this is a big show these are all pretty fucking cool and uh we've got pretty distinct first and second halves of the show uh i'm bringing in the first half death metal guys bringing in the second half 
first half, I would say, is two important statements in the sort of uh, finally coalescing American black metal sound. So uh, first we've got Father of Death by Elegiac, out on his own label, Sacrificial Sounds. Um, Elegiac's been a wildly prolific project and then went silent for a year, which signaled to me that there was something big coming. And I think this is a pretty substantial work. So uh, Elegiac also is like, uh, you could describe, well, uh, we'll get into it more, but generally if you like kind of uh, uh, epic bashing, Bathorian frontier majesty. You will enjoy this. Um, uh, as far as Sylvan Throne, Sylvan Throne, a uh, younger band from Pennsylvania, uh, and uh, they've had an EP before this that was really good, uh, but this is their debut full length on the shorter side called Forgotten Pathways to Ancient Wisdom out on the, you know, pretty influential label Nihilistic Noise Propaganda. They've done a lot. Uh, in the last year or two. Um, and uh, Sylvan Throne, I suppose, pl plays what people call melodic black metal now. You know, basically they just, they play black metal and it's highly influenced by various things from France. Um, but it has this kind of, um, has a distinctly American energy uh, that makes it more than just vampire worship. So we'll, we'll get into that um later too uh so and those are both records i've sort of i've wanted to cover these bands for a long time so i'm stoked uh death metal guy what do you have all right it's time for the first ultra weird record of the year and in this case it is going to be the new ep by astral tomb called degradation of human consciousness over on blood harvest uh, Astral Tomb, also a fairly new band out of California, I believe. And Blood Harvest, to anyone familiar, is a stalwart Swedish label that specializes in old-school death metal and uh, kind of like weird odds and ends from different parts of the metal spectrum, but uh, always with kind of a, an old-school flair. And I think they're one of the only distros that still has copies of a bunch of my old tapes. So... <laughs> still for sale so nice that oh yeah now the hunt is on to figure out what band i was in all right and uh last one uh just an out of nowhere last, rant. second really weird record of the year yeah i guess yeah i guess this is really weird it's not quite as obviously super weird though but totally random find that ended up magical the eighth yes i said that right the eighth full-length record by Devil Groth, entitled Sviatagor, uh, one of probably a hundred records named Sviatagor that I've listened to, but uh, this one's really worthwhile. And uh, this one is released, uh, I believe, independently on Bandcamp, uh, on CD or maybe vinyl through uh, Werewolf Promotion out of Poland, and also on cassette by a very new label from the U.S. called Nebula Eterna Productions. So uh, oh, definitely excited. Yeah, definitely excited to be talking about this one because uh, it's uh, we'll get to it. But I, I think that this Devil Groth record is going to be a very important one uh, for our listeners this year. All right. So first up, 
We've got Elagayak. I'm going to trust your uh, pronunciation on that with uh, Father of Death. And uh, this is a weird case where I think that I'm like a friend of a friend of Elagayak through like four different bands or something, but I haven't listened to that much of it myself. Yeah, so give people some background on him. Well, that makes me a friend of a friend of a friend. Uh, (laughs) So... I, I say it elegiac with a kind of soft G, but I, you know, but I, who knows, man? I think yours sounded fine too. Um, let's just let's just do do our own takes. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. So this is a band that I've I feel I've referenced before on this show as an example of black metal that really sounds American, and it's a band I've been keeping my eye on for a long time. Uh, it's been one of these sort of super prolific one-man projects where I think he sort of started out coming from a hardcore background years and years ago, but gradually like fully committed to the BM thing. Uh, uh, and he sort of, uh, he's been sort of honing his skills. He's used, he uses each new release to explore new techniques and ideas. That, that's what he was doing at the time. So, uh, it, it started evolving towards this, like, very robust, manly American heathen black metal. Uh, but a- along the way, he was basically putting out record after record, and it was kind of like he was doing these experimental releases in public. And so it meant that it was kind of a singles band. Like, uh, on each record, there would be, like, a few songs that were massive bangers, um, and then others that were kind of, let's say high energy but not terribly memorable right mm-hmm. you know you get get some of your favorite uh some of your favorite stock dark throne riffs um <laughs> but uh but um but yeah so so it was this kind of project that was developing and i think lately in the last two years i think it's really started to gel uh first let's play a sample of older by now, elegiac. This is um, "Rise from the Ashes" from the uh, record. I think it's an EP of the same name. Uh, and um, you will hear a good example of his older sound. <laughs> So, 
That's a that's a banger, is it not? Oh yeah, I mean that's just pretty much all the stuff I like in one place, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, so you get one of those sort of massive Satanic Warmaster type, early Satanic Warmaster type riff, and then just uh, um, basically it starts working like a hardcore song, and it's very yeah. honest, very transparent and honest about that influence, and embraces it and says. Why not this in black metal? In the same way that I feel like Commodus has been doing that lately, but this guy was doing it quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, mean, I, I would almost say that uh, uh, that's something we're seeing as a sort of inherent part of this new breed of American black metal or whatever terminology we're going to start ascribing to it, which is mm-hmm. a, hardcore songs made out of black metal parts in a way. Or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, for sure. Yeah, uh, there's, yes, the American scene, almost everyone at this point comes from some sort of punk or hardcore background, and a lot of the most unique bands are somehow embracing that. And the key thing for this is that the punky aspect of it is not just the discharge or misfits influence that's, like, inherent to second wave black metal, right? It's, like, American hardcore, with, yeah. uh, you know, 90s hardcore, with, like, breakdowns and two-steps, um, so basically that's a good example of where it was at and, but it's become this thing. It started to gel around basically hammer heart and Bloodfire death, specifically like the driving majestic mid tempo parts. And then he's got all these other influences, which I know you picked up on throughout this that are sort of pulled in around it. Uh, mm-hmm. last year he did this record called vampiric Odinism. Wait, awesome title, first of all. Uh, you know, um, vampires are werewolves. Por que no los dos? Right? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, sort of focused on Odin's role in necromantic magic. And it sort of had this ritual structure. Like, it was all focused on one kind of maybe animal sacrifice or something. Uh, but it was this very... It had this very specific mood that was kind of sustained for the whole thing. And so it felt like one of his most coherent things so far, but also not quite a full album statement, you know? Uh, And after that, the year of silence. And now he comes out with this. And I feel like, you know, I don't know if this is absolutely flawless or whatever, but this is, uh, this to me feels like an arrival moment for Elegiac. I think it's about time, you know? I gotcha. Yeah, I think for me... um... Mm -hmm. I, I feel very positive about this album. I would still say I think I have a reservation. I think it's the next record where he really arrives. Because the way I read this music, uh, and I've heard bits of Elegiac before, uh, just like a song here or there, um, and hearing this as a full record, uh, I get the sense uh, it's kind of a strange comparison, but as a meta comparison, I want to compare it to a band that we covered last year, which is also a one-man black metal project in the U.S., uh, which is Sardonic Witchery. Um, and obviously, mm-hmm. musically, they don't have too much in mean. common. Yeah, but Sardonic Witchery, for those who didn't hear that episode, awesome album. You should definitely check it out. Um, Sardonic Witchery is a sort of record collectors uh, black metal album where he's got this 
tremendously expansive love of different styles of black metal. And he just decided to do, I'm going to do a bunch of different kinds of songs. I'm going to develop them very rigorously based on these established parts. And I'm just going to make the best thing that I can out of these very simple materials. I think there's something similar that goes on here where I think there's a lot of different kinds of songs being played on this record. And for the most part, they're all very good. But I think that there's a block of songs in the beginning of the record, like the first four or so, which have a more distinct feel that say to me that this is what the band wants to be or is aspiring to be. And I think that the next record, when it fully coalesces, it's all going to arrive, which is interesting because it's in tandem with so many other guys from the U.S. black metal scene kind of arriving at a similar series of ideas. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think I hear this as more coherent than you do. That might be because mm-hmm. I've been following him for longer. Uh, I can see that, yeah. But I agree that it's, I, I agree that it's a little um, uneven. Like, you know, I think, I think the strongest tracks are at the beginning and at the end, and those all form a unit. There's kind of some palate cleansing stuff that happens in the middle that, uh, you know, I think is is a bit of a, a lull. But uh, if you cut that out, you'd still have about 40 minutes of sick music. Um, mm-hmm. But I suppose instead of quibbling about that, I should just play a sample. So <laughs> here's the beginning of the record. Uh, uh, this is a track uh, with the, uh, you know, um, complicated, refined, and subtle name, Hammer of Chaos. Do you like a well-placed black metal? 
I do, and I actually really like the well-placed, because it's so surprising, huge, soaring, clean vocal thing at the very front of the track. Like, that got me. Yeah, I was like, for sure. The, mo- the moment I heard that, the first time I put the record, I was like, okay, okay you have my attention. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's like the thing you... This album does um, a thing you like, which is starting with the climax. Um, oh, yeah. And... And in a way, that riff comes to... This is an infinite riff kind of thing, which I know you're going to circle back to later. But, like, mm-hmm. uh, that... Um, the riff comes in, like, uh, it's been playing for a long time, and it's concluding some song. Oh, uh, well, it's just... Um, it's Well, I, I think that's just because this is just a folk song. Oh, for sure. No, yeah, so that is... Yeah, so that's what we should talk about, right? Um... That's a wonderful melody, uh, and it has a very, without sort of, you know, being like, you know, anthropological or something, you can hear how it's metal riffing that's trying to cleave to certain folk uh, qualities and melodies. Uh, I mean, it's not even, it's specific, not even like a, a reach or anything, it's just Scotch-Irish. Like, I, I think that a variation on that melody is the basis of a lot of old Irish folk songs. And especially with the way that he keeps using it as a refrain, it is like an Irish folk song. You keep returning back to this main melodic motif over and over again. It's basically a two-riff song, but it works because the riffs are perfectly placed. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So that that is absolutely a place. Yeah, you've linked... So yeah, um, I mean we've we said this new kind of American metal, which I think uh, you know we'll try to come up with a name for, but um, it has this um, bluegrass or country quality to it, and I think the bluegrass thing is the most distinct. Bluegrass or hill music is most distinctive in this band, and I think he actually lives in the Alleghenies now. Um, yeah, yeah, he does. So. Uh, yeah, so he's got some connection to that region. I think he was on the West Coast before. Um, but um, but there's, there, yeah, there's a hill music, uh, Scots-Irish quality, the melody for sure. Um, and as somebody who has spent a lot of time trying to write melodies like that, in that kind of barbarian, barbarian warrior pentatonic minor kind of thing, kind of Celtic sounding, uh, this guy, that is such a good one. Um, because it's not just, duh. If you said, duh, 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 no, it's not bad, right? But this has got all those grace notes in it, those droning grace notes. Da dum, da dum, dum, da dum, 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 Well, yeah, that's what come in. Um, that's what ties it most closely to actual Irish folk music. Is like you can. You know the number of, like, even, like, English folk songs where it's, you know, uh, a couple, uh, like, a a couplet of lyrics and then a a sort of droning, concluding, like, melodic ostinato line Mm -hmm, before mm -hmm. it loops back in on itself. It's the same thing being done here. The ants go marching two by two. Hurrah, hurrah. Yeah, basically. Um, Yeah, no, um, that's, that's completely correct. I, I would. I was actually thinking of that melody a while ago. It's like you know what we put some. We have some goofy popular 
we have a goofy children's melody or pop jingle layered over that melody, but that's got to be an ancient marching song. So anyway, point being, yeah, he hits those drones and he hits them not in places that hew to black metal set forms, but in this kind of organic way that relative to metal is, quote, oddly timed, but makes perfect sense with the folk music thing. And that brings out what I think is the big sort of innovation in um, he's been continually developing new technologies I feel like you could hear on that last sample on Rise from the Ashes, his thing before was riffing based on these big blocky rhythm riffs with these well-chosen chords, right? He had a really good ear for harmony. Uh, and uh, But even in these kind of strongly melodic parts, like the beginning of Rise from the Ashes, right? He's kind of following set rhythmic forms. And I feel like here he has... Here he's mastered like melody proper, freed mm. from riff forms, free from rhythm guitar per se. And that's not just in the lead parts, but there's way more of an emphasis on lead parts here. And also those sort of almost just leading with that death metal trem lead, but focused on this very sort of glorious warlike pentatonic melody places it very firmly in the vein of some of the other American bands like Into Oblivion and uh, Mortem. Right? Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, this whole this whole idea of revisiting the pentatonic scale and and the the actual understanding of just how versatile it is, you know, rather than oh, it makes things bluesy, has been one of the most important developments in American metal is to realize, oh wow, there's actually other things we can do with this scale other than sound like Sabbath, you know, and I mean, it's the, yeah. the fundamentals. Yeah. And there are a couple little nods to more bluesy styles here, which I think is nice. It sort of marks it as American, but there was just nods. It's never an attempt to do something like blues sounding. And it always sounds pretty black metal, but it, mm -hmm. you know, it sounds kind of bluesy in the way that like, you know, Celtic Frost might have or something. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so uh, here's uh, so for my first sample, this is uh, this is a record where I would say, like I was talking about up front, there's a lot of different kinds of songs at work, and uh, what I want to pull up now is the third track on the record called "Sanguine Fire," and this is a kind of U.S. black metal song, and I would say more specifically, it's basically an Inquisition song, um, and I know that you kind of feel that it's just kind of what this guy sounds like now and maybe with some more listening of some of his other stuff I might be inclined to agree but it's pretty hard to listen to this and not be like oh yeah yeah that's that's into the uh, infernal regions of the ancient cult right there so <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah, well, I think you were absolutely right about the Inquisition comparison. Um, that is, it's... I've always seen Elegiac in terms of the way he's drawing on this sort of, uh, you know, pagan sound in European black metal and kind of folk, this folk music vibe and this Bathory vibe, right? And so I'd been perceiving it more in terms of this sort of folky hammer-on drone technique. But you're absolutely right that that also was used a ton by Old Inquisition. Um, yeah, I think that... Um... And in, it's, in, Inquisition always used to seem like this weird sui generis thing, but maybe now we can see them as ancestors of this new breed of American black metal. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's part of it. I think that really it's just a matter of... I mean, I, I think it's safe to say that Elegiac probably listens to a lot of Inquisition. I think that just about anyone who's in American black metal and takes it seriously listens to a lot of Inquisition. But... Uh, I mean, also, I mean, it, whether it sounds like Inquisition or not, I mean, Inquisition's just reaching back to the same things, which are, like, originating kind of blues and country rock guitar technique. Um, and I think there will come a point where the technique, specifically the sort of physical guitar technique that Inquisition used, will be fully subsumed into U.S. black metal. But I think that's going to take probably, well, we got our 10-year rule. It'll probably take another 10 years for everyone to, uh, you think, to just embrace You think that. another 10? I, I think the 10 years has elapsed because it's starting to show up in this guy's playing, right? Or in the way that all these other bands are doing these kind of, you know, what Inquisition did was that they took these things. You know, Inquisition sounds bluesier than any of these other bands. But what they did yeah. was they took those sort of droning they inserted into sort of uh, barbaric war metal songs, they inserted these droning kind of uh, primordial reptile folk songs. And uh, I, I feel like that is being picked up on now. Um, I, and I, is, uh... I basically agree. I think that my thing is that Inquisition is kind of an interesting Rorschach test of, like, what people hear most distinctly in it. And for me, I hear, like, ACDC mm -hmm. most distinctly in Inquisition. Other people hear sort of, like, a cryptic sort of Indo-Raga drone melodies. Other people hear the really blasting sort of, like, post-immortal type riffing. And nobody's wrong, but it's very interesting where your ear takes you when it comes to that band, if you know what I mean. That's a good point, but I also agree with you about ACDC. I think what I hear in AC, what I hear in Inquisition is somebody hearing Hell's Bells and hearing a kind of primordial sinister folk tune under it. It's like hearing Hell's Bells as uh, ancestral hill music. Or whatever. I can see that. Um, yeah, no. Which, uh, yeah. for anyone listening who hasn't heard us talk about this, uh, ACDC is a phenomenal band who is incredibly overrated despite being one of the biggest rock bands underrated. in the world. Underrated, yes. Under, that's what I meant. Uh, incredibly underrated, yeah, rather. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, here's another example of a reinterpretation of an older black metal technique. And I think this one is a little bit more pointed because... Here, I think we're going to connect to a, a thesis I'm starting to develop about 
what may be the absolute kernel at the core of modern American black metal. So let's listen to a couple tracks later. Uh, this is off Winds of the North. Uh, so let's just listen to a snatch of that, and then I'm going to compare it to another older band, and we can kind of talk about the relationship there. <laughs> Yeah, it might be a toss-up between that and the opening track for my favorite on the record. Oh, it's definitely one of the high points. Yeah, I was actually just thinking, in terms of places to start the record, you either, with like casual listing, you either start on the first track and definitely make it through that series of the first three, or you start here. Um, yeah. Which is sort of after the midpoint of the album. But this is this is track is such a banger. Um, oh, yeah. And, and so, so that hammer-on <laughs> guitar technique is like classic elegiac and that's the thing one of the things that makes him really unique uh and where you you can hear those bluegrassy hammer-ons you can hear a lot of emo in it too which is mm -hmm. something the death metal guy has stressed about american black metal but you think you got a source for this a source that i don't know oh yeah uh i think i've got the source for this one so my uh so my first point is i think that this this song is basically an updated and I guess you could argue kind of an improved version of the Judas Iscariot song from Hateful Visions off Heaven in Flames. Uh, and I think that Judas Iscariot is more of a me thing than a you thing, right? Yeah, I think I basically completely approve. Ever, I, there's a lot of stuff I like where you tell me it sounds like Judas Iscariot. It's just something that, like... You know, uh, you know, now I probably put off checking it out because I'm like, oh, that's the death metal guys band, whatever. But like, <laughs> I, I approve. I just don't know it well. Well, mm -hmm. shit, man. As much as you talk about wanting to hear black metal that conveys the essence of the Stooges or something, here you go, man. It's fucking J.I. So, All right. <laughs> let's All listen right. to the, uh, the first couple minutes, basically, of From Hateful Visions, and immediately you're going to hear, oh, this is the same kind of song. So let's do it. Thank you. 
Oh man, can you imagine when I was like 15 years old and I heard that for the first time and I was like, wait, wait, black metal can oh, be man. like this? This is this isn't what Dude, I yeah. know about black metal. And then it was there and it made perfect intrinsic sense to me. Um but yeah, so what's your take on it? Because I'd say that it's like Winds of the North. Okay, it's from Hateful Visions for 2021, basically. Well, death metal guy, I hate to say it, but you're right again. Um, uh, <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can totally see that. And this song is definitely more, he often uses those kinds of riffs as uh, parts in these longer songs here, it's really the basis for the whole song. Actually, no, he often uses it as the basis for whole songs. Never mind. But, um, but this song, there's a lot of a resemblance to hateful visions for sure. Um, and it, it sort of keeps the emo vibe in it, but like, mm -hmm. uh, boosts it to a much more sort of, uh, aggressive, you know, you could hear, you can see how back in the day people would hear a track like from hateful visions and think it was, you know, Oh, uh, early depressive black metal or something. Right. Yeah, well, what's what's fascinating is like just looking at the YouTube comments of this of the Judas Iscariot track. Oh, like, me too. I was yeah. It's fascinating. Like it's if too. the AC Dude, yes if, if the ACDC drummer played black metal or reminds me of post punk and goth or uh, the opening riff is from a Brian Adams song, and it's like yeah, those are all parts of what yeah, make this American one reminds me of metal. goth rock. Yeah, as our Gled says, this one reminds me of goth rock, only much more extreme. Uh, and somebody else compares it to Life Lover. Uh, and that's, if I could, my obscure reference for this guitar style would be Forgotten Woods. Mm -hmm. which, yeah, I can definitely see that. Which I didn't, which, which I didn't realize till I heard the Judas Iscariot. Um, but uh, he would have been. He was a little, just a little bit after Forgotten Woods, but basically at the same time. Um, yeah. Uh, but they, uh, but like that is one of the only other people in the '90s who were doing this kind of guitar technique, and there it sounded a little bit folkier. But with both, there was the same kind of gothy, jangly kind of droning vibe. Um, yeah, and I think that, and I feel my I, thesis. I feel. I, I, uh, we're, we're talking over each other a lot, but I, I feel like basically like both of those bands time is arriving now in terms of this much more mid-tempo rockish black metal stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, my thesis is kind of twofold. One is that the more I think about it and the more I dig into these like nowadays U.S. black metal bands, I'm starting to think that Judas Iscariot is the sort of kernel at the core of it. Because honestly... Across Judas Iscariot's albums, you will hear almost all the constituent parts of how we understand this new style of U.S. black metal. And two, mm -hmm. it's funny being people being like, oh, you know, the ACDC drummer, oh, this is Brian Adams, oh, this is Life Lover. The I think at this point, the U.S. black metal style is this whole continuum of rock and roll and emo and country music and all of these distinctly American musical inventions applied to black metal. So at this point, when I hear an American black metal band and it sounds like fucking uh, Texas is the reason, or it sounds kind of like, uh, 
like old Chuck Berry, or it sounds kind of like a Scotch Irish, like Appalachian folk music. It's all part of the same continuum to me. And I think that people are finally starting to realize that. Yeah. And those are very disparate musics in terms of the history, but it's like by, it's almost like by bringing them together in black metal, people are revealing inner affinities that we might not have noticed before. Yeah. Um, or that, or that wouldn't have seemed as interesting before. Uh, yeah, no, I hear it. It's remarkable how coherent this new sound is, right? Um, mm-hmm. As far as finding a name for it, I was talking with the guy from Aquahitl, uh, and he said uh, he said he liked the term solar metal, you know, because from him it's, you know, Aztec sun worship. Um, uh, I've always felt like the solar metal term applies more broadly because you could include a ton of French and Southern European bands in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you could use it for American. The, here's another one. Let me pitch it to you in light of this rockish thing. I was thinking, I was thinking outlaw rock. I do like that. That is very snappy and very fucking cool sounding. You know. <laughs> All right, cool. I was thinking sort of, you know, I was thinking sort of um, menacing understatement in the way that, um, say, like. Uh, Forlorn Spirit from Old One refers to uh, his project Desert Eagle. He says it's street rock influenced. And by street <laughs> rock, he means... By street rock, he means thuggish, stomping oi music. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Um, or the somewhat annoying but extremely influential uh, hardcore magazine, Maximum Rock and Roll, which, you know, had some great great stuff in it, too. Uh Maximum Rock and Roll, right? It's they named them the Who called themselves Maximum R and B. That was kind of an understatement, right? And so if the Who are Maximum R and B, then Discharge is Maximum Rock and Roll, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. But now Outlaw Rock, we're gonna make that a fucking thing, dude. We're 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 gonna force. Yeah, all right. <laughs> we're gonna force that. You know, Fetch is happening, girls, and it's called Outlaw Rock now. <laughs> Put up. Put on your, uh, oh yeah, Fetch. Oh my god, Mean Girls. Man, that's a callback. Oh shit. (laughs) Uh, Um, that's, um, yeah, alright, cool, yeah, so put on your cowboy boots, boys. Um, so, uh, I suppose we've got one more sample. At this point, you know what we think about Elegiac. You basically know what we think about these albums. We'll try not to say too much, um, but the last track, um, Cracks in the Science is I think another one of the strongest ones and it draws on that similar sort of um, sort of stompy walking tempo uh, kind of arpeggio drone riff stuff Um, but then it breaks into uh, something a little bit different that is equally American sounding and that relates to what we've been talking to so let's go to sort of the transition and cracks in the silence.
Yeah, so you could say that sounds like Droog, but you could also say it sounds like the Smashing Pumpkins, right? Yeah, uh, and the Smashing Pumpkins are also extremely underrated. Um, what it oh, also agreed. sounds like. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Siamese Dream, dude. Fucking holy shit. Uh, his his metal guitar work. There is so much stuff on there that's not just like grungy sort of pseudo metal stuff. Mm -hmm. His actual metal guitar work is extremely high quality and pretty original. Oh, definitely. Uh, it's also, but he's also pulling from uh, Nirvana on that passage with that. Uh, that's from uh, something in the way. The last track off Nevermind. I think it was also used on a Deftones song on White Pony, maybe something like that. I mean, it's a pretty typical thing. I'm just I'm just showing my my encyclopedic knowledge at this point. But um, but again, nice. like, I mean, yeah, I mean, also Whoa Whoa is also used on Bathory albums. But I see what you mean. There's a kind of convergence between those things. Well, no, there's a, it's mm. a, because for the something in the way, it's the exact notation. I know that because I've listened to Nevermind. Oh, I see. Like, I see about a thousand times. Um, <laughs> but uh, but even then, it's like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, American grunge. Uh, the sort of like post new metal stuff that Deftones did, yeah, that's that all fits perfectly neatly within this sort of a, a genre or a style of a genre, American black metal that is more about the music of a certain youth culture. I would say it is there maybe maybe this is a kind of music that can only exist for a little while because it's about a sort of shared cultural experience that spans many different kinds of music if that makes sense i'm not sure but i'll think about it um it's certainly <laughs> I, I i get what i get what you mean in that like it's referring to a bunch of things that guys in our generation might be the only people to connect uh, girls in our generation too but you know um, uh, it, I, I get that, but I feel like maybe that generational specificity is part of just what makes it a sound. I mean, gr like it's, um, you know, the echoes of youth culture, sub the e echoes of youth subculture thing seems right. Mm -hmm. But I think it's interesting in that these are echoes of mass cultural youth subculture coming back in underground music. Yeah, I think that's one right. of the things that makes it so interesting. Which is... This sort of perverse reflection yeah. of the songs that are... that we grew up on that were still kind of our parents' music, rather, but somehow sunk their artistic claws so deeply in our brain, we find ourselves coming back to them in these very warped ways so many years later. Yeah, my parents liked the Beatles, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I totally get what you mean. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's cool. Um, it's, I, it's a good record, you know, folks. I, yeah, yeah, we, we like this record. And I think um, now that you all have heard Elegiac, you understand more what we mean when we're defining this new sort of... Uh, American or Vinlandic sound, right? Or outlaw rock. Outlaw right? rock. Uh, that's that's the only way we refer to it from now on is outlaw rock. All right. <laughs> uh, 
So yeah, we like this stock and we like this album. So uh, let's take a quick break and uh, get back with some more. How's it going? Connor here from Oncology and you're listening to Terminus. All right, we are back. And this time we got Sylvan Throne with Forbidden Pathways to Ancient Wisdom. And uh, Whoa, whoa, I think that's you... Forgotten Pathways to you. Uh, I've got Forbidden in front of me. Oh, is it Forbidden? Did I yeah, just type forbidden. the wrong thing? Oh, shit, cell phone. Well, that's a great Yeah, story. yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I think you did like a cool guy name check of these guys the other day. You were talking about seeing them live and stuff and how they're like cool friends of yours and shit. Mm, they're not friends of mine. I just talked with them. They're good dudes. Um, It's... uh. Yeah, no, that I did a Terminus news segment is what I did about how this was coming up um, and that I endorsed them. Yes, I have met them. They are cool dudes. Um, and uh, I am currently, since we're doing the episode, I'm wearing my dang Sylvan Throne long sleeve. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, they're quite a high energy live act. And that actually comes through in the recordings, which I think is pretty rare in modern black metal. Um, mm-hmm. Both playing live, being good at playing live, and recording in a way that captures that. Especially because these aren't like totally raw basement recordings. It's not like a rehearsal room recording thing, but they have a sort of rough and ready kind of sound. Yeah. Um, and in the performance as well. And so you could see this fitting into the same general paradigm of elegiac. This is much more conventionally metal. But I think we could still fit it in under the outlaw rock heading. Um, and the things that make it kind of made them kind of American would be that they're drawing a lot from French chivalric black metal and things like that. But they're adding this kind of like they have, the, especially on the first EP, they had these kind of rough hewn blocky versions of those French riffs and this kind of American swagger. Um, so. Let's do a sample from that first EP, because I think that's an important reference point for considering this new record. Uh, this is the second track from the self-titled EP, uh, and it is, uh, let's start it from the beginning.
right, so that is a cool song. Um, do you get that huge chorus? Oh, yeah. No, it's... um. Well, what's interesting to me is how much you like this when I think this firmly fits within the Finno-French tradition that you've really tired of over the past year. Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. It, um, I think it fits in it less firmly than you might think. That is, um, it's definitely coming from that, but it's they're doing something creative to it. Um, so one thing would be that chorus, which um, just drops in once in the song goes away and i've remembered it since i heard it um and you like to talk all the, a lot about metalcore influences and stuff or parallels mm-hmm. to metalcore there's a part that actually sounds like a metalcore part yeah the, no right? that's just a that's a black metalcore part yes 100%. um and it works like because it's like why can't you do that in a black metal song it's not like you're doing some rote chug riff or you know clean vocals about your girlfriend right um and or your ex-girlfriend i suppose uh but um <laughs> but i think what makes it sound kind of american it, it's um they're not entirely following the set rhythmic forms of that you inherit from the Finnish and French bands. Um, yeah. There's more of an emphasis on major, bright major key stuff, which you can get from some of the French, but more here. Lots of key change things. They have that kind of weird suspended melody at the beginning. It's even hard to kind of hum to remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it drops down. That's a technique we'll hear the music get on this new record. Uh, I think the riffs are shaped a little bit differently, and I think part of it comes because they're not so much drawing on their first record, at least, on the main line of this Finno-French thing. It's not like Satanic Warmaster, Sargeist, uh, you know, whatever French bands you want. Um, I think the first record, I the guitarist mentioned he liked Pentagram Era Gorgoroth and Pest Noir, right? Yeah. And so on the one hand, you've got the weirdest version of the French bands that has this sort of, uh, you know, brawler energy to it, right? Um, this hooligan vibe. And on the other end, you've got the root of all the French bands, right? So unlike yeah, a lot of younger... We've, unlike we've a lot discussed of younger, that before, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's grasping the influence at the root, right? Uh, in Pentagram. And so that's going to give him more of a command of it than guitarists who are taking it second hand from the Finns or the French. Um, and so you can, you can hear that even in the big chorus, you could imagine us kind of Gorgorathy. Uh, mm-hmm. um, you get a lot of dramatic moments on this first record. So that's what I hear as different. Um, it's undoubtedly very much in this sort of modern melodic black metal vein. Um, but uh, I think it's a good version on it. Uh, good, good version of it. I think this new record, they've moved much closer to what you're describing. And I, I, I think it's a little bit of a step back for them. But I think I get why they did it. Um, so do you want to, maybe to capture that, do you want to start with your sample? Yeah, I can do that. Um, yeah, we, we usually go in chronological order, but I think it's fair to start with this kind of perception of it. <clears throat> so... Uh, I cannot be objective about this music because this sounds like everything I was writing when I was about 19 or 20 years old, and I love it completely. 
Uh, it is a combination of, uh, you know, just like the bulk is Sargeist and then there's some Blazeberth Hall. There's some like kind of raw tape black stuff and there's some French stuff, which is just how I write black metal. Uh, it's totally youthful and vigorous and it's the most fun thing in the world. So let's listen to a song called Layer of Magic for a little bit. Uh, which is really cool and makes me think that Satan is a super cool dude. And uh, yeah, I'm just unbelievably stoked is the way I would describe my first <laughs> hearing this. So let's right. listen to a layer right. of magic. those riffs i like all of those melodic ideas um and i will be completely frank and the best way to describe it is with uh two youtube commentators for this record uh one of which says this is so weird it feel like i already know the first two songs am i alone in that case to which another uh commenter responds probably you almost hear this riffs before and I agree, <laughs> sir. I probably have almost hear this riffs before. Um, this is within a a very strict sort of paradigm. Honestly, the opening riff is basically a reinterpretation of Sargeist's Empire of Suffering from Let the Devil In, the world's greatest album of all time. And uh, I've got no problem with that. Uh, the devil is insanely cool and strong. And uh, I just, I, I, I love this. This is just wonderful. This is candy for me. Num, num, num. I, I have no intelligent things to say about it. It's just, it's just 
cut and dried made for me. You know what I mean? Ah, it's interesting you said Empire of Suffering. I was thinking much more. I think the reason you have heard this riffs before is that now that you finally heard Corellian Satanist Madness, you have heard My Kingdom of Darkness. And this song is built around the main melody to My Kingdom of Darkness. Oh, yeah. My Kingdom of Darkness and Evil. You know, oh, well, um, Sargeist and Satanic War Master are constantly stealing from each other, so it's fair. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all the same scene, but, um, uh, but like, but yeah, so for me, I find that moving toward, more towards that sort of thing is a step backward, uh, mm-hmm. because there are, you know, it's, it's very well executed, um, and, you know, they did a good version of that riff, and then they developed it in a good way. So right where you ended the sample, I thought was interesting, because another band would have just gone straight back to the main riff, but what you got there was this sort of attenuated, sort of muted version of it. It was mm-hmm. kind of like they'd darkened it a little bit, made it a little bit rougher. They kind of sylvan-throned it, whereas yeah. before they were just sargeisting. Oh, no, it's uh-huh. like they're doing a lot of... Uh kind of subtle variations on the same melody they're doing a lot of one thing that's cool you don't really hear in the sample but something that occurs a little later is they they're attempting some kind of dramatic key changes here and there which is very ambitious they're not executed perfectly like this band like i think you said these are younger dudes right yeah, they're probably in their early 20s. Could be yeah. younger. So, yeah. so, like, you get some of that just because, like, some of the transitions between ideas can be a little ragged on this music, which is not necessarily a problem, but it does indicate that kind of, like, youthful go, go, go energy, which is part of the charm of this record to me. Um, but I think this is a record that, yeah, while it's definitely in this, like, Finno-French tradition, you can see them reaching outside of it. Yeah. Um, and I think Here. in general, I'm just, I'm, I'm just really not as critical of this kind of thing just cause it's like, I, I, I mean, what am I going to do? Knock something that's like really well executed within a certain tradition. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, no, I mean, I like well executed things within a tradition. Um, I just think that like, it's becoming harder and harder to execute it well in a way that I find remarkable or interesting because there are a lot of other people mm-hmm. executing it well. And, you know, if, if we want to take just those Sargeist and Satanic Warmaster style riffs and compare them, you know, they would not stack up against Finn. They would not stack up against Totenvok, the best of Totenvok. They would not stack up against several other bands. Um, well, that, that being said... However... Wait, wait. Yeah, that, oh, go ahead. So I think what's happened here is that they've probably, like, a lot of the things that made the first Dot record so great to me were its idiosyncrasies, the way it was moving around the edges of this tradition. And Mm -hmm. I feel like what they've done is, like, we want to master the center of it now, right? You know, maybe even a little bit of, like, oh, you know, that sounds like metalcore. Let's not do that, right? Or, um, like, let's just do... I also I th- I think this band sounds better when they're just sitting on these big ringing chords, kind of, mm-hmm. um, or they draw melodies out more. This clearly, they're trying to do these more rapid melodies, 
but it leads them towards these stock riff forms they're inheriting from these other bands, like eighth note here, eighth note here, eighth note here, eighth note here. Okay, I get that. However, however, I think in some places they pull it off very well, and so I think my, I, I, I think this is a, a move they had to make, and they will profit from it in the long run. I think is my my optimistic read on this. Um, yeah. So here's a track, Embrace of the Morning Star, which will start with a riff that you and I will, com- that is completely in the Finno-French tradition, and you and I will completely agree it's fucking sick. Okay? Um, <laughs> so, all right, Embrace of the Morning Star. <laughs> chivalric black metal riff go do 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 fuck yeah extremely chivalric right yeah yeah to my mind the best of those chivalric bands is our lock they're kind of the ones who invented it although they'll never get any credit um uh but um that really reminds me of our lock um and is a riff worthy of the major french bands um it's and the cool thing about that, the fast one, is that that has a distinctive, you could hear it echoing phrase ideas from these French bands, but it's got a pretty distinct shape to it. And it's got this kind of, I think it genuinely achieves that feel they want of building in kind of more rapid movement to the riffs. That's got this kind of, uh, it sort of uh, rises, falls, turns on a dime. Um mm-hmm. It's very agile, but then it releases into this big block riff that I think is very Sylvan Throne. And you can hear this kind of, uh, you can hear open strings just ringing, buzzing in a way that I like a lot. Uh, is that a key change, bud? You have a better ear for those things than I do. It's, I, I don't think it's a full key change. I think they're adding, they're like augmenting, um, the key they're in with a couple like chromatic notes. Uh, so it's not like a full key change, but it kind of gives you like a shortcut effect of one. You know what yeah. I mean? And the interesting thing is it also goes from a bright minor scale, like a kind of noble Dorian. It drops to a kind of like darkened major idea. Like, yeah, when it's it goes very to... interesting. Yeah. So there's sophisticated stuff at work here, and I think that that pairing of like this faster stuff they've taken on board with that kind of um, kind of just sort of smash the chords out thing that they're already quite good at, with that subtle compositional thing linking them, that's I think that's that's great. Um, so what do you want to sample? Oh, do you maybe we should should we sample yours at the end? Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. 
Okay, yeah, so uh, here's another place where I think you get more of this uh, an effective integration of this more down-the-line uh, melodic Euroblack stuff. Um, start. Uh, this is from an interest... I like this track title. This is from Ghosts of the Desolate Corridor. <laughs> Very Dungeons and Dragons, I dig it. That that is true. That is true. Yes. Um, I I'm That's gonna right. I, I'm gonna roll d twenty to detect traps. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right. Uh, those sort of uh, bridging reverse chord shape riffs at the end there. Those were so cool, right? I, I swear to fucking God, I wrote a couple of those when I was like 19. My well, hand where are God, they? I... <laughs> uh, they're uh, for something I might record at one point. Uh, sort of, uh, mm. I it was a project I told you about a while back where they were I refer to them as black metal gestures, you know, within mm -hmm. this very sort of like restricted sort of writing format, sort of my retarded interpretation of what if Iljarn but melodic. But mm -hmm. that's, that's just one of the things that I love about this is like, oh my God, it's, it's like, I feel like these guys, I mean, if these guys are probably in their early 20s now, they're in like the same place that I was 10 years ago at the same age you know what i mean it's like there's just this like immediate psychic connection there it's like everything you like i like too and at the same Aww. time in my life Aww. you know <laughs> well you know yeah so what's smart about that that they did there is there seems to be a consistent thing where they their darkest parts and their most major key parts are related to each other and they kind of modulate between them using this kind of 
it's like baroque key change modulation stuff you know it's like stuff that infernus from gorgoroth does but not many other people in black metal um well i think it's, it's um well they've got it they've got an interesting thing going on where it's like you said, you'll have these very kind of bright and chivalric minor key parts and these sort of like the darkest parts of the major key riffs, which is interesting because it, it what it means is they're operating within sort of a more restricted melodic space, but the parts of each style they're using are closer together. Yeah, you know that's, right. I mean? that's right. That's right. So they can, they can kind of move and dance in and out of these different sorts of keys and these different sorts of melodic ideas, but it all feels interrelated due to their kind of proximity on the scale. It's it's not schizoid. Um, And they're able to pull in those kind of more grim sounding Norwegian ideas without them seeming out of place at all. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, But that first riff also, I mean, that was a chivalric riff that led it off. And boy, that's like, that was that's the riff where I feel like not only is that a masterful riff of the French tradition, but they've given it their own spin because you know that like da 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 da, you know, um, it gets really pentatonic at the end in a very American way, almost in a kind of like Appalachian Spring kind of way. Yeah, yeah, I it's um it's um. I mean that's a genius riff. That opening yeah, riff is yes, like. Yes, I agree. That riff just kills me. I was, yeah, that's like you. Uh, you heard me just screaming while we were listening. Oh to yeah, it. yeah. It's like um, uh, well, that reminds me of something you turned me on to, huh. which was like should have I I should have been listening to these guys the whole time, uh, given what I'm into, which is Vehemence. Um, oh yeah, yeah, just yeah. like the coolest band in the world that no one gives a shit about. Uh, no, people <laughs> like Vehemence. Mm, oh, I don't see anyone talk about them, but. Uh, yeah, no, um, yeah, that, so that reminds me of, like, some of the coolest parts of Aemons, and, of course, you know, my old favorite hero Lorne would have some stuff like that, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, that is, that is true, I wonder, I bet these guys do like hero Lorne. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, if they're listening, if they're making this kind of music and they're listening to Gorgoroth, then that means they're listening to hero Lorne. You know, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. there's like a an SAT word problem involved well, there. Well, somehow. you know, I, I hadn't really heard Hero Lore until you showed me, like, you know, probably six months ago. But yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, and then you realize like the oh, this is the connective tissue between mm-hmm. all these yeah, ideas, yeah, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh real quick, last sample. So the vast majority of this stuff is in this very sort of tight Franco finished tradition. But the final track on this record shows the band trying to make another kind of song. Um, it's not a great song. It's got very cool ideas, but they're not really fully developed. But what it indicates to me is that these are guys who are young and full of energy, but still kind of have the foresight to realize we need to expand. We need to think of new ideas we need to figure out how to develop new kinds of songs and that makes it kind of compelling for me so (laughs) this is off the just fucking wonderfully titled p-a-b-m eternal which i assume refers to pennsylvania black metal eternal um there's nothing better (laughs) it says p-a-b-m on the back of my shirt with a massive upside down cross (laughs) 
<laughs> it's a, there's that dude. There's nothing better than black metal like repping its fucking area code. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Br- yeah. Bring in those hardcoreisms, please. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's listen to kind of the uh, the ending couple minutes of this track, and uh, this is, to my mind, these guys attempting to write a sort of Bill Skernier song. So let's All give right. that a shot. So you can tell that this is very different in tone from the rest of the tracks on this record. And it's not, it's definitely not the idealized version of it. But like I was saying up front, uh, I think the fact that they're trying to make a song like this points to them having a, a real, like, kind of concentrated idea of the kind of music they want to play. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely trying to, they're trying to take this kind of, um, epic or glorious or noble sound that's become kind of conventionalized now. And that kind of, kind of congealed out of other things. Like, mm-hmm. in, you know, in Finnish Black Metal or whatever, and really focus on that as its own vocabulary. And they want to have this. I do think they have a very clear idea of the kind of band they want to be. They want to be this kind of like, yeah, they they want it to have this kind of swaggering manly quality to it. Right. Uh, and this brightness. Um, and so I can see how like a kind of um, more melancholy, but still stompy riff fits in well there. Um but you said some interesting stuff about it in the notes. Oh, just like, um, so I said, for instance, these are, this is guys learning how to do a Bill Skernier kind of song. Um, 
So, like, the the flaws were kind of obvious to me. The main riff, that... Dun, 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 that's only half of a riff. You know what I mean? Because it's like, you got this kind of A-B variation, but the, the real version of it, to my mind, would be... You know, you you need some sort of, like longer, more chivalric piece on the end of it. This is me bullshitting, humming something out. But there, there's a way to extend that and make it a more substantial thing. Um, and then, like, that bridge riff they have there, that more droney one, you know, kick back the tempo a little bit, play it slower, and, like, arpeggiate it, and that's how you would have a Bill Skernier song out of the kind of ingredients they have now. Yeah. I don't know if they're... Yeah, I mean, maybe they're not trying to write a Bill Skernier song per se, but I get what you mean that there's a... Uh, I get what you mean that, like, that first... That first... That corded riff that they rock it out on does seem a little bit like a... Uh, it, it it does seem like the first part of a riff. It seems like I mean, the, it's, the, it's the elementary gesture of a riff, and the riff isn't... Yeah, you know, like the block is the, the statue isn't out of the marble yet on that one. Yeah, yeah. Right? No, and I, I would a, say it. I would say that it's them trying to make a Bill Skinner song because it, it does strike me as like these guys heard reconquering Atlantean supremacy and were like, "Fuck, how do we do something kind of like this?" And then very quickly, this is what came out of that process, you know, because <laughs> they were all so stoked about hearing this kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and that's one of the things that makes us a cool record, though, is the that sort of, like, immediacy, that fucking, I've got a fucking riff here, all right, I'm gonna do this after that, yeah, that's sick, let's go, hey, do blast beats, do whatever the fuck you want on drums, just, just go, you know, <laughs> and that's wonderful, I love hearing that in this kind of music. It definitely has a just go kind of energy to it, so here's a question, speaking of that, what do you think about the length of this record? Because this is, oh, well, this I, is being positioned as a full length, right? Oh, I don't read it as a full length. This is an EP. I agree. This is, yes, this is, if we were to judge this as a full, that's a thing. Like, if we were to judge this as a full length, we would have to be harder on it simply because it's still all kind of rough, right? Mm -hmm. um, as an EP, I liked, I probably liked the first one better, but it's almost pointless of me to compare them then because they're just stages in the development of a sound, right? And so yeah, I, I mean, think it's I, it's worthy I, of it's worthy of remembering these guys have literally been a band since like what 2018. Like this th th this band barely exists so far. Yeah, you know, they, I, like I don't think I, a, think, I don't think a no uh, I don't think so. I think band. they've all been playing with each other for a while. Does it say 2018 on the um, on the Metal Archives? Yeah, it says on Metal Archives. I mean, the first demo came out in yeah. 2018. So it's like, I mean, for me, it's like, honestly, at this point, I don't think a metal band even really gets its legs under it until like five years in, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I get what you mean. So it's, I, I imagine these guys have the background playing with each other before that would be my guess um, probably but but yeah this is a it's a new project um judged as an ep this is a uh it's a great step towards the full length you know and you could definitely hear them 
branching. You can hear the core of the thing that I identify with their musical personality, and then you can hear them bringing in these distinct other strains. Sometimes it, you know, some places I think it works better than others, but, like, you can hear that they're... Some places it really works, and you can hear that incorporation happening. Yeah, I can feel that. So, overall, I think... uh I mean, I'm a fan of this band, definitely now. Really excited to see what they do next with it. Um, Just fuck it, man. Just crack something out again before the end of 2021. I think they're... I I feel like they're chomping at the bit. You know, I I feel like... That's what I was thinking about the full length. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think the... You know, you can mark it as a full length. 25 minutes long, that's pretty short for a black metal record. Five tracks. I mean, let's... Come on, let give me the, give me the forty minute version of this, like really mm-hmm. considered, but still with that same energy, and uh, then that could be positioned to be like a huge record of the year for me. I I, I agree. They probably could release a full length in a year. They've got some time. Um, it's you know the other thing is like it's got to have something to do with COVID, right? You know, it's just like mm-hmm. you know probably the I imagine that can't have made the rehearsal. For a lot of bands, if you were writing and rehearsing this year, COVID would have really gotten your way. So if your plan was like, we were trying to like, you know, in all sorts of different ways. And so if it's like, we were we were going to try to crank out a full length by this time, suddenly the amount of time you have to play and record and whatever has contracted and everyone is inconvenienced mm-hmm. and scattered and whatever, you know. Um yeah, I can it's, see uh, that. It's and so then you're just like, fuck it, let's put out the full length anyway, right? Because yeah, like yeah. we've we've been delayed long enough. Um So uh overall I like it a lot and uh you know I'm looking forward to what they do next. So uh real quick, uh for an interlude, you got an idea? Interlude Because I was thinking because uh, I haven't actually heard uh Orlock before. I don't even know what Orlock is. I've heard the name. Hourlock? Oh, Hourlock. Oh, I thought you were saying Orlock as in, like, Cap Graf Orlock, like the vampire. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, I don't fucking know how you pronounce it. It could French be the... Shit. I mean, it's probably the name of a... It's probably probably the name of a... That probably is a band, O-R-L-O-K. <laughs> um, uh, but um, Hourlock. Um, yeah, that's a good idea. We could... Absolutely. So let's do one from... Um, La... Uh, well, let's see. They're la- what I want to do. They're I think their last album is their best. Um uh and it is it was called uh L'Esprit de Vent. Um they write a lot about their region in southern France, um which is uh the uh I think part of it's in what would now be Provence. There is a language there, a dialect called Languedoc or Languedoc, that was sort of, um, oh, it's the Occitan region, yeah. And that language and people who spoke it were almost exterminated in the Middle Ages by, I think, one of the first European crusades. Um, hmm. The rumor is that the people think that they were reputed to be practicing, like, the they were called the Albigensians. They were reputed to be practicing the Arian heresy, that's A-R-I-A-N, um, or something like that. Um, but people think it might be because they were crypto pagans. Um, okay. 
And so, and that's where the troubadours came from, the medieval sort of warrior bards. So, uh, Auerlach writes a lot about that. L'Esprit de Vent is brilliant, but where they really kind of, I think if anyone starts with this, they got to hear, to start Auerlach, they got to hear the, um, the title track from their album, La Cité de Vent, which is, um, this was years ago. I think that came out in 2010 and completely predicts like the the way black metal has gone in the next 10 years so let's go to uh saint flor la cité de vent all right sounds good so let's listen to that take a quick break and uh get back with the back half for our episode
All right, we are back after some uh, hour lock, not or lock, uh, <laughs> although that is probably, like you said, a- another black metal band uh, with something pretty different. Uh, one of the pff, easily the weirdest record we've covered this year with uh, Astral Tombs Degradation of Human Consciousness. And I remember when, uh, you know, we were setting up our schedule uh, on our little Excel document, I... Uh, under the genre column, I put death metal with a question mark because how do you even begin to describe something like this? Well, I, I and I'm definitely interested in your perspective because, <laughs> like I did with Meslamtea last year, you first accidentally listened to the wrong record by this band. You listened to their first demo. So how does that extend into this? Yes, I did a bad. Um, I listened to uh, Subterranean Forms, which I guess was a demo. Uh, and I texted you saying, I don't know if it's weird, as weird as you say, but it's definitely weird. Um, Subterranean Forms was kind of... Uh, there's a lot of ragged grinding stuff with deliberately nonsense atonal power chord riffs. And like more nonsense than is conventional in death metal Mm -hmm. um to a degree where it seems like it reminded me of lightning bolt um the energy just the manic crazed sort of uh dark side weed energy um (laughs) dark side weed energy is a great way to describe this band (laughs) dude dude we should start selling a terminus supplement called that (laughs) um it's like, uh, you know, for the, for the people who want to smoke a lot of weed, but then listen to fucking winter instead of, uh, yeah, you know, cool yeah. stoner doom. You know? it's, a, it's a supplement, but it's actually just like, you know, liquid THC, whiskey, and speed. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so, I mean. We, it, we, this, call it the, we call it the Neo John Belushi. <laughs> yeah, so, so this band definitely reminds me how fun it was to get high and listen to Lightning Bolt back when I smoked weed. Um, and, and um, but, like, it's, obviously, it's very metal. Um, it is, it also, the fast parts maybe remind me most of just, like, Beharit. Like, if you heard Oath of Black Blood and thought, we want to play our riffs like that. Um, <laughs> the, the, you know, they sounded pretty, pretty you know, pretty sort of frantic, kind of sloppy blast. And then a lot of weird sort of choppy chug stuff interacting with that. Um, And uh, I thought that some of the nonsense riffing was cool. Some of it I found a little bit less cool, but I sort of understood the point of it, right? Uh, And there was hilarious sampling. Um, There were some fairly sincere sort of gory horror samples, and there was also an amazing sample at the beginning of Mammoth Realm of what I can only describe as like either, you know, uh, Buck Rogers or Conan the Barbarian beating the shit out of an alien. Uh, <laughs> like, I'll, I'll, I'll have to check that out and see if I recognize it. Because I'm wondering if it's maybe, uh, maybe from like an episode of the... Uh, uh, the original Star Trek or something like yeah, that. Yeah, somebody's just going, somebody's just going like, and then you hear like some horrible monster sound, and then like, <laughs> um, 
So it definitely has a Conan the Barbarian punch and an alien quality to it. Um, I strongly approved of it, but then I listened to this from today, and man, I like this even better. This is so fucking weird, dude. dude and I, so, I don't, yeah, I, I don't say that lightly because I listen to some yes, tremendously yeah. weird music. <laughs> yeah, but this Ooh. is fucking out there, man. <laughs> Well, what what I heard last night, even even before I listened to the right record, it did remind me of one of your favorite bands, which is Black Mass of Absu. Yes, that is something we both arrived at. And so for people who aren't familiar, which is probably most people listening, uh, Black Mass of Absu is like super deep cut shit from, I think, Rochester, New York, something like that. They only did some, like, demos and splits and EPs. I think most of the guys were from kind of the industrial scene. And to describe Black Mass of Absu is extremely challenging. But imagine a sort of blackened sludge doom, but played kind of like it's 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 guys trying to play rock and roll but they're fucking insane people black and <laughs> sludge doom before that term was a twinkle in the eye of cult nation exactly black and sludge doom but before that referred to like nice the, bands to listen the, to your girlfriend y- it's the it's some of the I would honestly say some of the like sickest most depraved music I've yeah heard. bro these these guys were doing the uh, balaclava aesthetic long before it was cool and uh, think less uh, think less Ukrainian paramilitary and more like uh, like Slipknot <laughs> and more like I'm actually going to commit a home invasion on you now. That's going to happen. And then I'm going to, like, do a weird satanic ritual in your living room while you're still asleep after I broke in. Um, So, Astral Tomb, I mean, really all you can talk about are these disparate reference points. Like, Black Mass of Absu, uh, Ride for Revenge is one we picked up on, which also reaches back towards the Beharit thing we were talking about. Mm -hmm. But also, like, Winter... Um, one of the closest things would be Infester. I don't know. Have you ever heard the Infester album? I I didn't hear the winter so much on the thing I heard last night, in part because it was faster. I did hear the winter on this after you played it. Definitely with mm-hmm. a less a less thick version of the tone, but certainly the riffing and rhythm ideas. Um, Infester, uh, no. Never heard. Sounds grindy. Uh, Infester, to the depths and degradation. A, a total, like... Anus or deathmetal.org uh, classic record. They did like one record. This would have been back in probably 92. It was released on Moribund. They broke up. I have no idea where those guys are now. But it is one of the... The last gasp of death metal being the sickest and most evil thing on the planet before black metal achieved hegemony over that mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. It's just like... It's just awful. It just makes what's you it, what's feel it's horrible. Infester. All right, I'm gonna look this up. Infester to the depths and degradation. Fucking outstanding record, dude. Oh, cool logo, man. And oh, this yeah, was in, dude. And this was in Seattle during the height of grunge. 
Oh yeah, total like reaction against that shit too. Oh for sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I guess we should probably we should probably play a sample, should we? <laughs> so people get an idea. Because I think you've got the one off the first track. This is just a little three track EP. Mm-hmm. So we should probably mm-hmm. go with All yours right. first. All right. So um, oh, we could do yours first because I feel like yours flags the things that are struck us most about it. But mine is the most sort of here are okay. We'll start with mine. This is from the first okay. track, Devouring Sorrow, and what I wrote in the notes is, it's so easy to get excited about the strange out playing on this record, out in the kind of jazz way, as in you're playing beyond the frame of the song, that it's tempting to skip over the sections of extraordinarily strong, bang your head through a wall, chug metal. So, let's start there with the stuff that actually sounds like winter. Uh, <laughs> let's do it. square and he picks a fight with the little sort of uh drunk homeless man in the corner and astral tomb is the drunk homeless man who teleports behind him and kicks him in the head (laughs) i I can see that it's it's like because there's such a an understated yet unbelievable technicality to this music yes it's extremely skillful and also my god is it ignorant like, yeah, no, it's because if you if you subtract the weird, like, noisy, textured lead stuff from the left channel and you're just left with the chug riffs, then you just have, like, an abstract slam band, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, so, I mean, I like that part. I don't think, if anyone who knows our taste knows we like that part, uh, but um, I like... You know, I, I like that you can you could hear in the slide riffs. That's a very winter into darkness thing. Um, 
also a skin chamber thing. Uh, but there was that awesome screaming noise solo, right? And, oh, yeah. And th- that reminds me a lot of the track I played at the end of the last show, which was Amoebix's The Power Remains, which has this basically a guitar solo. Actually, some of the only stuff I've heard that really sounds like it is this. Um, but hmm. just just an absolutely deranged, aggressive guitar solo. Um and uh, this Amoebix had this thing where it was like they pretty much literally taught themselves music. Like mm-hmm. they had to figure out that if you put your fingers on the strings up there, it made the sound go higher. Um, <laughs> like they, they, I'm sure someone somewhere tried to learn part of a song, but that's basically what they did. Uh, no, that's, that's kind of like how uh, Bolt Thrower did it, really. Is it? Yeah. yeah, no, it's, it was fascinating. I've been reading some old interviews of mm-hmm. Bolthrower where it's like, Bolthrower, when they did In Battle There Is No Law, they had all been playing their instruments for like six months. No and, way. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. And and it's amazing because it's like, that's why they don't sound like anything in death metal, because they literally just learned instruments for this band, and they can only play Bolt Thrower songs. Well, and, <laughs> yeah, well, they could only play Amoebic songs with blast beats. It's uh yeah you yeah know, basically uh, they were th- you know they probably met one of those stench bands and the old guys who gave them the drugs were like why don't you play guitar um yeah. uh, but um but yeah so like this this is basically like this has a similar sort of anti music quality but it's by really good musicians yeah yeah no I I mm-hmm. definitely get that well actually well. Coming off that, let me play my sample. Nice. Um, uh, Transcendental Visions, the second track. So, people are going to listen to this and they're going to think that it's sloppy. It's not. Mm -hmm. The timing in this music is rigorous. And sometimes you think that it's sort of like jazz-like, that it's kind of floating in free time, that it's just based off pure muscle memory. But there's these tiny things, these tiny reflections in the different guitar channels and stuff that prove that, oh, no, this is done very exactly. You think a, a you weird, think they're counting? I think they're counting. I think Damn. they're counting very precisely. Damn. Or they just get really stoned and they played these songs a lot. Um, Those are not would, mutually exclusive. True. That is true. <laughs> Well, it's something I would compare it to would be the uh, a record we covered last year by Insalubrity, where it's uh-huh. so loose and free-flowing that you think, oh, you know, some of these things that happen on guitar are mistakes, but then the mistakes will be echoed in the second channel mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. guitar, like a couple measures later, and you're like, oh my god, this is all going as planned. So, <laughs> let's, so let's listen Dude, to Trans... Yes. So let's listen to uh, a little bit of Transcendental Visions and then, holy shit, this is the, this is the track that made me decide, oh, I want to cover this on the show. So nice. <laughs> let's do it.
can tell, despite how abstract and kind of free-flowing that is, that the timing is literally perfect throughout all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I, I, um, I, yeah. It, it's amazing because this music has this... Uh, a big thing we talked about is, like, it seems almost improvised, but... You can tell it's just it's too precise to be improvised, which means they have spent an unbelievable amount of effort making it sound like it's improvisational and abstract, you know? Yeah, or composing by jam and then actually taking the most out parts of the jamming and saying, okay, how can we remember this? <laughs> how how know, do we make it's... a song out of these parts? I Well, I mean, important question like, you know, and this is a question we'll get to on the, the final record of the show. Is this even death metal anymore? Hmm. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I, well, yeah, we've been asking this question about a lot of things lately, and I think it's a fair question. Like with, um, Mephitis, right? Uh. Mm hmm. Mephitis is more metal than this is. <laughs> in some sense, yes. Mephitis is closer to the idea of, like, you know, masterful coherence and musicianship. Um, uh, in some sense, I'm fine with saying yes, because it's so distinct from black metal. Um, and the kind of malice against music that these guys seem to show is, um, I feel like, a distinctively more of a death metal or grind affect. Mm -hmm. Um or, yeah, certainly grind. Um, I suppose, how's this? If we hear more stuff that sounds like it, we can come up with a new word for it, right? Yeah, I get for, that. For, I, for now, what this sounds like to me is um, extremely creative and original death metal that kind of, um, you know, we've found a few different ways that people have been doing. Um, we came into this last year really pessimistic about modern death metal. And I feel like both of us, we've, we've each found some fairly promising bands doing new things in different ways. I guess this is another one. Yeah, no, I think, I, I guess the point of curiosity is like, there is a certain lane for um, black metal that is no longer heavy metal. But no, I, I, I yes, yeah. I don't know if the same thing really exists in the same way for death metal. I think there's arguments about, you know, these, the extreme fringes of brutal death that we've talked about, like a lot of the new standard elite bands, which are basically mm -hmm. brutal death metal minus any heavy metal, minus any connection to the origin. But this is a little bit different. This is like death metal, uh, chromatic, melodic ideas and some technique totally divorced from any idea of the riff or honestly any idea of a song in a way that we conventionally understand it's certainly it. divorced from riffing and riffing is more important to death metal than yes it might be that metal is it might be that one reason black metal got the momentum is that heavy metal is built into death metal's dna in a way it's mm -hmm. not for black metal uh and the riff and a certain idea staggering staggering proficiency and coherence and maximum volume and intense heaviness and whatever uh and you know mephitis in some ways even though their music is so refined is still kind of in line with that you know play so well you make other people quit yeah. um 
these are people who can play really well but aren't using it in that way. I yeah, I take your point that it might not be. Um you know, what I was thinking is um maybe maybe the riff is well this is comes relevant to our your next band too, but it's like maybe at least in some wings of metal what needs to happen is people uh, getting rid of the riff yeah or at least the idea of the riff as we understand it now exactly it doesn't mean getting rid of cool melodic ideas in fact i think it can mean two things it can mean moving sub riff into noise and texture with this which this band is certainly doing and it can mean moving beyond riff into writing actual melodies which bands like into oblivion are doing yeah or or in their other way these kinds of american outlaw rock bands who are in some sense it's more musically conservative than black metal was where they have chord changes and they have songs with folk melodies in them right yeah mm-hmm. uh so uh let's get to the uh the final track which we both sampled off um mm. orbiting fractals which <laughs> might be might be the best track on I agree. this EP. I agree. yeah um so a lot of people are what's very interesting about this band is these guys are clearly coming from this, like, totally bizarre musical location. But just because of the thematics and the name and stuff, people are lumping them into, I guess, what people are now calling astral death metal. Oh, God, no. Which is fucking a horrible phrase because there's been cool death metal bands doing songs about space and shit for many years. What it really means is, Oh, we're going to group this with blood incantation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is, uh, is there any, do they have anything? Is this band from the same area as blood incantation? Where are they from? I think so because astral tomb are from uh, Denver, Denver. And I think blood incantation might be also, yes. Blood incantation are also from Denver, but well, good good news, boys. Your band wipes the fucking floor with blood incantation. Abs- um, Absolutely. But it it feels obvious that there's absolutely nothing musically in common between these two bands. No, no, um, not at all. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people are, like, associating them with this, but honestly, what's going on here has a lot more in common with, like, the most abstract corners of 90s prog death, the most abstract corners of 90s doom death, and just, honestly, just the weirdest edges of everything you know. So let's just listen to the opening couple minutes of Orbiting Fractals. (laughs) The weirdest edges of everything you know. There you go. They should quote that for their site. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that would be great. That's that's pretty legit, I think. All right, let's check out Orbiting Fractals.
yeah, what what do you even say about what's fucking going on there? I got some things to say. No, no, no me too, but you go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, you, you picked the sample. You go, I forgot we got to the end of the sample. I was just enjoying it so much. Jeez. Okay. So, um... The way the left channel guitar slips in with this sort of feedback and delay and maybe even a, like a looper pedal constructing this like brief, like not even melodic, like purely textural phrase Mm -hmm. that cuts across the, uh, it cuts across the bar of the music Mm -hmm. and ends up sinking back up with the main rhythm several measures later, sort of like almost Mm. like a Meshuga style technique Mm -hmm. is just so far in front of basically anyone in death metal. (laughs) By by slips in, do you mean the thing that burst out of my right eardrum destroying the other riff? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, yeah. It's like... That is true. It doesn't. It doesn't just like tuck back into the pocket. It gets extinguished by some gi- other giant chug riff. Also, something I'm sure you'll mention: the dedication to the chug yes. on this record. And it's like there aren't any. There are there any tremolo riffs? Are there any this? power chords that aren't chugged? No, and no. It's literally I mean, just... No, there might be tremolo lead in the noise soloing, but the way they're tremming is... It's not like a tremolo death or black metal riff. Um, Both for this band and for the next band, I keep thinking about Skullflower. Like, hmm. I thought about it a lot in connection to Devil Groth, and, um, and, and I think in relation to this, too. This kind of... Um, outside abrasive sort of melodically contoured noise guitar um and i keep thinking about a lot of my favorite bands which i mean obviously we always think about our favorite bands in relation to things but like i think about old bands that aren't aren't in the same genre and shit Mm -hmm. you know um uh God, I can't even remember specifically what I was thinking of when I was listening to this, um, to that sample. But, um, yeah, it's very sophisticated. Yeah, it's um, it, it's a level of abstraction in death metal that we probably haven't seen since, like, Obscura by Gorguts. Like, <laughs> outside of the realms of, like, ultra-brutal death metal where it just becomes, like totally non-musical figures, you know? Um, it's just... It's... Is this genius? Is this yeah, actually, I think, like, I think brilliant this is, I music? I think this is genius, yes. Um, <laughs> this is... You know, this is up there with Concrete Winds, but Concrete Winds is closer... Concrete Winds is, like, closer to what we would think of as black metal or death metal songs. Whereas yeah, this it, is... I think part of that is the drumming in Concrete Winds. It's like... Mm-hmm. Okay, they're doing like thrash beats and blasts and double bass. Here they it's have, just concrete like, winds have riffs. They're just riffs written parallel to what actual riffing sounds like. Um, yeah. Yeah. But here it's yeah. like that's actually another thing that's notable is the drum performance on this, which is yes. like in your very first sample off uh, "Devouring Sorrow." Mm-hmm. There's an amazing part where, in the midst of one of these heavy chug riffs, he's doing these almost tribal tom fills within the bar 
of the riff, and it's just like, what the f- what the fuck is happening in this music? I love it. <laughs> you know, these are younger dudes, um, young, probably younger than um, Sylvan Throne, actually, uh, looking mm-hmm. at their Metal Archives page. Um, I wonder if, like, you know, the key to the genius of the Norwegians, in part, was that they were squandering their expensive classical music educations on this music. Um, these kids probably play in jazz bands. It's cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm just looking at the, uh, god damn, I'm looking at the guitarist of this band. He's 18 years old. So, yes, mm-hmm. you're correct. <laughs> yeah, like, they're, this is American. It's the American version of that. They're probably trained in jazz or other kinds of things like that. And um, it's, you can hear it for sure, but in a non-annoying way. Um, so, yeah, I guess let's get into the my favorite part of orbiting fractals uh what i have in my notes is you know that noisy guitar stuff i love those totally unmusical sounds you could only make with an electric guitar right and it's kind of just like that is the riffing style right it's just (laughs) it just you know they're manipulating pure energy using just touch on the fretboard right uh yeah and um so let's go to uh about a minute after yours in orbiting fractals and uh Get ready for the the lobotomy continues. (laughs) All right, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, this is that's brilliance. Oh yeah, that's that's perfect. Yeah. And you, you know, it, I know exactly what is going to happen when people hear this shit. 
Like, oh I think God, gonna be I do too. You're right. Yes. Well, I mean, well, the, the vast majority of people are just going to say this is fucking like horrible shit. But clearly a segment like that evidence is like the brilliance at the core of this music, you know? I could also see really annoying people getting into it for the wrong reasons, i.e., oh, it's so progressive, right? Um, but um, Yeah, but because they'll, they'll totally discount the fact that it's, like, incredibly brutal. Yeah, no, What the most complex thing happening there was the elemental, like, you said Meshuga, yeah, you know, the elemental chug riff sort of slowly mutating and changing rhythmic shapes for the entire passage. And they only got to a, you know, standard chug riff right as we faded out. And they were about to hit you with just the most crushing, like, winter into darkness riff on the record. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny because it's it's also, like, the very end is, like, that could also be, like, a waking the cadaver riff. But it's so mm-hmm, removed mm-hmm. from its original context. Well, a thing it's, these guys it, have that anal stab wound also had, and that these guys just take to a way more avant-garde extreme, is... They're young enough that they have the primordial fascination that we all heard when we heard the angry chugging guitar, right? They're still young yeah, enough that, to remember that, and, and, they're, this and is, yet this they're is familiar cool with on its own. Yeah. Yes, and they're familiar. I'm sure they know a shit ton of bands now, and they are great musicians. But they're still tapped into that primordial feeling, and they don't give a fuck what anyone else thinks about how it's supposed to sound. Like it's, you know. Um, uh, the, to me, the highlight, the peak of this album is about 20 seconds into that sample where the guitars start sort of crying, doing one of those down swoops again, like, and then the weed whacker goes off in the the other channel. It's like a weed whacker or a leaf blower, just, and the first time I heard that, I was like, I've been waiting for someone to do this my whole life. I mean, it's, you know, after so many, I mean, I've talked about this on the show a couple of times, but, you know, after so many years of listening to this music and listening to very bizarre experimental music, it's so exciting when I encounter something that takes me aback with how fucking weird it is. And... Honestly, I have no predictions to make about this band or this EP. I don't know what you could pull from this like and incorporate as technique in another band. I don't know where this band will go because they say, you know, on the band camp, this is just a fragment of what we're going to be releasing later this year. And I'm like, are they going to be able to do a, a full length that's as weird and brilliant as this? I don't know. I, I, I guess we'll just have to see, but I what love... They, what if <laughs> they ahead. just kept doing these things, but for 50 minutes? Oh, man. Well, that would probably be one of the albums of the year, then. Like, yeah. yeah. It just because it's... What makes this so wonderful is how singular it is. Mm-hmm. Like, we've we've given these kind of meta descriptions, like Black Mass Fobs, who ride for revenge, and Fester, etc., etc., but it doesn't actually capture what the sounds like, which is, I gotta say, basically wholly unique yeah. within death metal. And I can't fucking believe that there's still bands who can do that, you know? 
Yeah, the most original bands, right, are always speaking not only to the origin points of their own genres, but to these, they're speaking outside genre to this other group of bands that are just sort of fundamental in this bigger way, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, one reason I know I respect this immensely is that I keep referring to my favorite bands, right? It's mm -hmm. like Amoebics, another band that's kind of outside music, right? Or like, you yeah. know, kind of talking to bands that are outside its little the little niche of crust punk that came off it it's also talking to the stooges talking about yeah. you know like that weed whacker sound is like that is the initial impulse of punk was there's a primitive version of the stooges when they were just playing shows and it was a little more like uh they didn't totally have the concept yet it was a little bit more like a sort of uh hippie freak happening thing um mm -hmm. and they would bring uh, vacuum cleaners on the stage and things like that. <laughs> um, and Iggy Pop said he was inspired in part by the sound of power tools and machinery growing up. Yeah. And I like, like that. Dude, I mean, have, have you ever had this experience? I've had this experience all the time where I hear this amazing like music and I'm like, where is that coming from? And I like run upstairs or run out the door and it turns out to be power tools. Oh, no, yeah. I, I've heard... Uh, bizarre, perfect harmonic tones emerge yes. from air conditioners and yes. stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I love that. Yeah. So this is like, so this is wonderful because this is like, you hear that great noise and you say, what is that? That's horrible. And you run out the door and it's just three kids jamming in their garage, right? <laughs> These guys managed to, <laughs> they managed to recreate the experience of listening to power tools, but with intentional music, which yes, is, with, yes, yes, which is a triumph. In, absolutely. In some sense, it's come full circle, right? Yeah, it is. And, yeah. you know, lest anyone get the wrong idea about this, we're not saying this ironically. This is truly brilliant and cool music. And I'm so excited to hear what they do after this. Yeah, man, this is another one of those, you know, the devil growth is like this too, but this is another one of those, um, you know, sort of, oh, good. All right. Everything is going according to plan. <laughs> Thank God there's still kids doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, hopefully this starts a new genre, right? You know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Abstract fucking, like, nothing death metal is fucking i am totally down for that so the people <laughs> their age well I, my guess is that people their age or older won't pick up on it it will be kids it will be people who are 13 now who hear this and think it's cool yes yes mm -hmm. i mean we are reconstructing mayhem's death crush yes, through completely yes. yeah. different tools here that's and a good thank god we're here to hear it so yeah. um Outstanding music, take a quick break, get to our final record of the night. Hey, it's Kari from Sepulchre Curse. And I'm Yaku. You're listening to Terminus. Alright, uh, final album of the night, Devil Groth with Sviatagor. Uh, at the time of recording, we have just crossed midnight into... <laughs> the 7th of February, and I am willing to say right now that this will be quite possibly on both of our end-of-the-year lists. 
Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it'd be it'd be hard to we, what we do twenty. It'd be hard to imagine this not being on there, and it, I don't think it would be number twenty. No, this is. Uh, uh this is a completely outstanding record. It has reference points to stuff that we already love, but it takes it in a direction that is almost difficult to imagine. Um, I'm not even sure how to begin describing it, apart from imagine taking Branicald to its final logical conclusion of becoming purely abstracted nature music divorced of any idea of heavy metal and really most ideas of black metal. Um, It is entirely singular. Honestly, there's really no comparison available for this music. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, I mean, I think, I think the cool thing about this is that it, it finds a territory that existed in like, in the weaves of fate, in the sort of worlds, in possible futures, right? Possible future trajectories. This clearly existed, and now we know it had to exist. But this guy saw it, right? He sort of like, now that we can see, okay, so it seems like what he did, right? Yeah, it's like it's coming from Branicald pushed further. There are these other really weird uh, marginal Blazeberth Hall bands like Votan Solve or... Uh, um, what's the other one? Uh, uh, Raven Dark. Raven Dark. Um, yeah. And, y- you know, those were <laughs> very out there, very not heavy metal, uh, black metal really only in the sense that they were, you know, storming and propulsive and dark, right? Uh, um, and this is kind of like that for sure. He has a real mastery of that school of black metal. He's listened seriously to it. And the unique thing is that he seems to have also listened to a lot of, like, what would be called atmospheric or post-black metal. Mm -hmm. And, like, post-rock itself and probably some hardcore. But, like, the people who do that do not listen to BBH. Um, The only other person I can think of blending those is um, Glush, who are also from Siberia. But Glush is much more folk-oriented, musically conservative, way closer to Druk and to Atmo Black. Um, yeah. So this is like the complete opposite of that. Like some similar ingredients, but completely opposite. Um, yeah, the, inter- the interpretation of those parts is taken in a completely different direction. I think the first time I described this to you when I found this record was, this is what... I imagined Paysage d'Hiver to sound like. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But then I got to Paysage d'Hiver and it's like, it's not bad music by any means, but it's like, oh, it's just, it, it, it's black metal, but really elongated, you know? And it's, I, I remember, I remember being even dumber and thinking it's black metal, but really quiet. Yeah, that's not unfair. That's not unfair, yeah. especially for the really early stuff. Yeah, that was not what I was looking for in 2009, let me tell you. Uh, yeah. But this is, on the, the but to compare it, on the other hand, this is very loud in a way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, um, the power behind this music is 
fucking unbelievable. Oh Real yeah, quick. it's dealing it's dealing with the primary materials of nature, right? Absolutely. Is, yeah. So. Uh, real quick, just because I, I mentioned up front uh, at the beginning of the episode that I've probably listened to, you know, 20 albums at this point called Sviatogor. <laughs> and I had never actually looked it up until I listened to this album. And I was like, oh, well, shit, I got to figure out what Sviatogor actually is. <laughs> so for those who aren't familiar, so it's, it's difficult to describe because it seems like most of the English language resources about this are just copied from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sviatogor is a sort of, uh, f- sort of fairy tale folk hero. He is a, mm-hmm. a warrior giant in Russian mythology. And, uh, it's interesting because the stories about him don't seem to entail him, uh, doing a lot of fighting, or doing mm-hmm. really powerful stuff, but a lot of his, the stories seem to relate to his relationship to uh, another folk hero, a, a human named Ilya. Mm-hmm. And uh, so basically, Ilya encounters Viatagor, this giant who I think he like mistakes for a mountain at first. Mm-hmm. And uh, he hits Viatagor with his mace a few times, and Viatagor just picks Ilya up and puts him in his pocket. And they end up conversing, and they decide to go off together as friends, as, like, Uh warriors, sort of barbaric warriors. But at one point, uh, they encounter a giant stone coffin that is too too large for Ilya, but the perfect size for Sviatogor. And despite Ilya's protestations, Sviatogor gets in it like he's drawn to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. the coffin... The stone coffin shuts on him, and uh, there's different versions of what happens, but in essence, Sviatogor is trapped there forever, the last of the giants to die in this coffin, but in his last moments, he breathes some of his own life into Ilya, so Ilya oh. can carry his Sviatogor's massive sword with him. So you're touching oh, on these... That's that's beautiful. Yeah. That's... Yeah, it, it seems like almost a, a, a sort of, like... Uh, like fucking horrific Siberian Russian take on something like the Iliad. But oh sure, well yeah, it's the same. Oh, the Iliad is is woven out of the same kind of weave of folk of myth, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's interesting yeah. just having consumed so much Russian media over the years. It's like oh, so we're touching on these. These themes that seem so consistent oh. in Russian oh. media. Of, oh, I of see sat- what you mean. Like this is as fundamental for them as the Iliad might be for a Greek. Yes. Or, yeah, because, yeah, I, yeah. like I said, I've listened to twenty yes. black metal albums called Sviatogor. Um, yeah. So it's touching on. I've these seen themes the name of, too. Yeah. Of massiveness, but also fragility, and sacrifice, and inevitability of fate, which seem deeply yeah. woven into a lot of. Russian movies and books and games and stuff that I've consumed over the years. And it's reflected very well. Let's, I mean, pay attention to the cover of this record where you see this small warrior and against these mountains and then this giant kind of uh, stone mountain to his right. But that mountain is actually a face. That's Viatagor. It's not the yeah. small warrior. Dude. Um, and... 
understanding that made me understand this record better. It is about nature and inevitability and massiveness beyond yeah. what you can conceive. There's, there's a kind of inertia to the inorganic, right? If you, mm -hmm. if you talk about this titanic... Nietzsche talks about the titanic order in The Birth of Tragedy. He talks about uh, this hypothetical sort of... The Iliad being founded on memories of this sort of titanic age, the barbaric age, the pre-classical age of heroes, right? Mycenae and whatever, right? And this idea that earlier generations of gods, titans who are like less anthropomorphized, close to the earth, um, and where there's this this keen awareness that everything is uh, everything is force and everything is driven towards necessary ends, right? And it's like yes. Yeah, and so he talks about, you know, and there's sort of like benign Greek classicism, you know, the smiling statues and all that are this kind of glorious edifice that arises from that knowledge. This is completely like, but if you go to the really old myth, like the Slavic myth or the Celtic myth or whatever, or the Vikings, there you have it. The Titanic yeah, order. Right? This, this is music yeah. that reaches back to a sort of Ur myth beyond everything yeah. the mountain is... has to retire to itself it sees the coffin for itself and it knows that its age is ending and it just goes this is this is music that is the beginning and the end of time and that sounds dramatic Ugh. but it's like it's yes. yeah. it's forever music it's eternal it's yes that's something that has in common with blazeberth hall Yes, Blazeberth Hall is always eternal music. You take this flowing flux of energy, right? Swirling Siberian storm, basically. And if you really follow that flux, you start to see it cycling and you start to see the patterns. And if you're so if you're really attuned to movement and process, you see the patterns. And once you're attuned to the patterns, you start to see eternity. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this is. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the greatest moments of Forrest and Branicald are exactly like that. So let's give us your sample, bro. Uh, Dream of the Ancient Land, um, a song where it, at this point, this is the second track on the record, I still thought that, in my mind, I thought this still might proceed like black metal. <laughs> yeah. I thought that it might, because what we're going to hear here is a, it's a sort of break in the music, and I always expected it to come back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in a metal way to have a triumphant return but it it doesn't it's just icicles falling and shattering against stone forever that's all this music is so <laughs> let's check it out
could get lost in there, right? Oh yeah, no, I was. I, I was, was halfway through that, and I thought, <laughs> oh, surely, oh, so probably the samples come into an end, and then I was like, oh, I'm halfway through. No, it's like it, it, after listening, I don't even want to finish the show. I just want to like throw off my headphones and just walk into the woods mm-hmm. and just. And I, I haven't felt that from a record in so long. Like, it's so hard to, you know, they, there's been so many records over the years that so many metal critics or whatever has been like, oh, this feels like a place. This feels, you know, mm-hmm. natural and geological. No, this this actually gets at it. Because because the, the thing is, you know, the the nature music that people talk about is always very friendly. Oh, the foxes are playing in the forest, and maybe there's some like sad parts, but ultimately it's all about the cycle of nature. No. Oh, so you're thinking you're thinking about people talking about like wolves in the throne room type stuff. Yeah, right? no, yeah. this isn't. Nature is <laughs> nature is not a cycle. Nature is an immutable granite brick that goes forever. There might be cycles within it, but nature itself exists in a fundamental way. And this yes, captures this is te- that, yeah. This is this is in the inorganic. This starts from the inorganic and proceeds to the uh, uh, proceeds to the organic. It's not like it's not all life. Nature isn't just life. This is like as you said, icicles and rock and gravity and you know uh, wind and uh, I think the Slavic stuff has always been very tapped into that hate forest as well to the inorganic, but yeah. this is. This especially is the, yes, and beyond that, you know, beyond nature. Um, yeah, no, this is, this is what I call, you know, I call this like the inhuman. Yeah, this is, this has nothing to do with, because uh, people always think of nature in terms of cycles of life and death, but there's also things that just don't live or die. Yes, there's, yes. There's frost and wind and rock. There are things that you cannot anthropomorphize. You know, there are or, just, there's fundamental material realities. And you anthropomorphize. Kind of it's about it. <laughs> you anthropomorphize them and they look like Sviatogor. Yeah, yeah. You know, they don't a, a, look like, a, they don't act like people with people motivations. They, uh, you know, they put you in your pocket and then they walk towards the coffin and get in it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a it's, the the inevitability of it is what strikes me mm-hmm. as so yeah. like emotionally resonant about this music. That makes sense, and it's funny because yeah, the music itself is always in flux, but there's such solidity underneath it. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and you know, also related to that nature thing, right? That people always say not only is it all life, but it's all this very sort of comforting vision of life. Yeah, right. It's always oh, we need to you know. Oh, we've we've gone astray from nature. We need to like return. We've wronged her so much. We need to return, like that Toad Eater record, which is so oh, yeah. It's very it's so, like yeah. It's this like parochial understanding of nature. It's like <laughs> yes, oh, nature is yes. nature is something that we need to take care of. Like nature is a pet. Yes, as though nature, nature yes. is nature is nature is not a thing that existed long before us and will exist long after our final passing you know yeah 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 nature nature shrugs um and uh <laughs> yeah exactly and you know when i think of 
yeah, when I think of black metal that sounds like nature, I think of this stuff, right? I think of Hate Forest, or I think of, um, yeah. uh, or, you know, the more, you know, the funny thing, right, is that that whole nature black metal thing, all they meant was black metal stripped of its impulse. Yeah. All they meant was black metal stripped of any sense of the divine, any sense of something more than human, any sense of grimness, right? It's like, uh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I would argue that this is like, like the original like, Norwegian BM that was supposed that like Wolves in the Throne Room was supposed to be different from like, sorry, go listen to Treldom. That's about nature. Oh, yeah. You know, no, I, yeah. I, I would Il-Jarn argue that this is about is, nature. <laughs> this is I would argue that this is the most pagan black metal we've ever featured on our show. You know? Well, I mean, I think there is different what modes of it, but I basically agree. Yes, this gets well, it. This gets at the metaphysical fundaments of paganism. Yeah, well, a thing. I mean it in terms of a thing wholly divorced from our systems of morality and our ideas of good and evil. You know, well, I think all the pagan stuff is it's 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 sort of orthogonal to them. Yeah, um, it doesn't really have any like you know. Emperor, or like, you know, I don't know, what's a good example? Like, uh, Treldom, Hades, Graveland, these things all operate by like a, a heroic code. You people, you'd call it a heroic code or an honor ethic or whatever. It's all, I, I think it's all beyond good and evil. But, but this is very, this is like at the primal, I, I'm just nitpicking here, man. And that's just because I'm just nerdy. No, I get it. Yeah, I'm the pagan, right? But, um, it's, this is this is sort of at the root. This is very much at the root of that way of understanding the world. Mm-hmm. And you can have this vision of the world that's like, uh, you know, um, well, it gets back to that thing of it being like more primordial than the Iliad, right? Yeah. A lot of black metal hangs out in the Iliad, which you know, when people in the Renaissance read the Iliad, they were horrified. Um, it hadn't been translated <laughs> for them for a long... They hadn't rediscovered it for a long time. They knew the Aeneid better. When they read the Iliad, they were horrified. They were like, my God, these people were barbarians. Um, uh, but, like, this is... And a lot of black metal hangs out in that territory, right? Sort of like mm-hmm. crazed, God-possessed, wolf warrior, whatever, right? This is before that. Yeah, no, and I get it. Well, it's interesting even talking about it in terms of paganism because this mm-hmm. is like... Listening to this music is much closer to, like, me as a Catholic, my understanding of God than, you know, most, uh, you know, uh, Christians would traditionally suggest, which is something sort of outside of how we understand human thought Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, human relations to things. It is something so entirely outside of our experience that all we can hope is to attempt to translate in fragments yeah. its understanding. Like, like when even, I listen to this, yeah, mm-hmm. when I listen to this, I get a similar feeling to when I listen to Reverum Ibmalacht, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, Odin stealing the meat of poetry. There's plenty of weird stuff in total myth logic that makes no quote-unquote sense relative to the modern world. This is before that. Right. Yeah. Odin stealing the myth of poetry has some sort of, it's very, you know, it's like uh, the gods are more personalized. There's like more, mm-hmm. it makes more quote unquote, pardon me, burp, Guinness burp sense. <laughs> um, 
Guinness Extra is a significant. If you're not getting it at the bar, I think Guinness Extra is a significant improvement. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, I suppose we should play my sample. We have so much to say yeah. about this. We should probably play more for them. Um, sure. Yeah, what you guys are getting is definitely Terminus After Dark. Uh, this is... Uh, um, so, uh, this is from the beginning of the record. Um, and this, I think I can tie into your idea about the indifference of all of this. Um, because this is very... So much of the Slav stuff is at the interface between folk music and this kind of inorganicity and alienness, right? This is mm-hmm. way more just in the inorganic and alien. Uh, at the beginning of this record, I thought I heard, huh, okay, there's this, like, pretty skillful, slightly folky version of a bog-standard, twinkly post-black riff. Um, and that's what opens it. And it's like, I would describe that genre and that guitar tone as my personal enemy. Um, (laughs) uh, so I was a little bit unsure, right, what to expect, but let's just listen to how this record opens. Uh, so um, let's just go from f- just 20 seconds from the beginning, and then we'll pause it for a sec. <laughs> It's just like a a nice post-black intro riff, you know? Exactly, yeah. It's not like, I I couldn't tell where it was going. I wasn't like, I hate this, right? I was like, I was like, okay, you know, kind of nice sounding, post-black, recognizably black metal-y, recognizably a riff, right? Um, And so, okay, let's... Let's listen from there. All right, let's see what happens. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, yeah, it's like so, it's 
it's it's it's yeah. there needs to be an intro, but the content of that intro is interchangeable. Yeah, it's like, and that riff does come back, and you get one of the, right right. It fades out for a minute as our this sheet of guitar noise comes back in as the the bass drum comes in. And then we get just the shade of a motor, you know, Emperor-style motorhead beat. The bass, which is really important on this record, comes rumbling in, arcs up, and that melody comes back and locks in with it. There you go. That's one of the only black metal, like, conventional capital B, capital M moments on the whole record. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it's gone. Um, and, yeah, could have been any riff. And so what I thought about is, like, it's... um. It's the opposite of like this, you know, it relates to what you were saying about, you know, nature beyond life or whatever, right? It's like uh, in the 19th century classical music or the romantics or whatever, they were really into this idea of everything is life, right? Even things that don't seem to be alive is life. And life is all related to human thought and blah, 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 Mm -hmm. right? And so there's this organic quality to everything and everything grows out of the beginning. So Beethoven, right, in the Fifth Symphony, da-da-da-dum, da-da-da-dum. Right? Four notes. Right? And those mm-hmm. four notes, he spits the whole symphony out of that. Right? And there's something very profound there. And something you can learn about, like, plants and animals and things. Right? Yeah. But, like, for Stravinsky, right? Who you you like, you like the writer of Spring a lot, right? Too, oh. right? Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, every metalhead should listen to that. But, um, if... So, apparently, when he was writing it, he flipped through the pages of a book of, you know, archaic Russian peasant songs, basically at random. Uh, people have reconstructed this because they've seen the way the pages are dog-eared. And they've just seen, like, he appears to have opened these without even looking at the opposite pages. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and just pulling these random melodic ideas... And just use them as these little stems. They had a certain harmonic character to them, but what they were didn't matter at all because he was going to work on them. And of course, the Rite of Spring, even though it's about spring, has, you know, this geometric quality to it, right? Oh, yeah. It's got moments of just profound fear and tension because, you know, it's like, oh, spring, that's when all the animals are mating. Well, it's also when all the animals are consuming each other to yeah, fool their own mating. You know, did, you, you know that that's, you know, that's the, the, it's literally about a human sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's like okay. this, this, this weaving of, you know, I, I think that fundamentally, you know, there's all these stories And a slav human sacrifice. So there you go. Yeah. Right. There you, well, they're you know, there's always the linden tree with the maiden's blood. It's uh there's always these stories about, you know, the uh, the musical content being so fucking shocking to the people at the time that riots started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably part of that, but I think it's more to do with this sort of, like, intensely pagan idea of life and death being fundamentally intertwined in a way that was deeply upsetting to a lot of the Christians at the time. Bro! Bro, I feel ya. Yes, you get it. Um, <laughs> yes, because there was other music at that time that was like super out there. Like, you know, nobody rioted for, for Schoenberg, right? There's you know, always uh, been experimental music at any era. This is not uh, a new yeah, yeah. invention, kids. By People the early have been doing 20th, weird shit forever. And by the early 20th century, the bourgeois were used to being scandalized. They knew that's what mm-hmm. artists were for. They paid to be scandalized by artists. 
Um, <laughs> That's true. Uh, but like, yeah, this, it was something with the radicalness of it, with the way it was, it was the specific worldview being put forth. Absolutely, I think. And the other thing is, right, it worked. Like, yeah. in some sense, like, it basically, he did a medal. He basically got them all. <laughs> he did. Because the riot wasn't just them attacking the instruments, right? They were attacking the band or whatever, or asking, you know, rioting, asking for their money back. They all started punching each other. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Pro- proving his point very well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we got to write a spring. So I mean, so this is, I mean, yeah. So I think you got that. Yeah. The point is the opening riff. I have this sort of feeling about the opening riff. Do I like this riff? Do I not? Right. Me, me putting it through my you know autistic riff calculator, um, and then like, um, who cares? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, your, yeah. your perceptions of this kind yeah. of music don't really yeah. matter. Yeah. And this point. is just the way he handles sort of pure guitar. To- he's just, he's not working with riffs. He's working with pure guitar tone as his material, uh, just sculpting sheets of sound. Uh, and yeah. it's like, he just, the, the point of the post-rock influence, I think in some sense is just adding that glistening tone to the BBH stuff. Mm-hmm. adding that level of sort of crisp reverb allows him to make these out these sort of shapes with it that you couldn't make otherwise because the bbh stuff was so fuzzy yeah well i mean it mm-hmm. it replaces the fuzz with this unbelievable density you know mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. this yeah, fucking it just, just warps what would have there's probably something like black metal riffs buried in this music but it's so blown out through delay and reverb that they're just completely abstracted forms with you know these sort of ringing harmonic notes bleeding into each other uh which make it completely distinct from a riff as we understand it uh which is actually a really good segue into my second sample good um yeah so this is off the living mountain and what makes this so interesting and what makes it, I would say, I don't think it's unfair to say this is not only not black metal, it's beyond black metal. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the most profound moments on this record for me are where the music sort of fades into nothing. You know, it, it does not resemble a song in any way that we understand it. And this is a really good passage that evidences that. So let's listen to a bit of The Living Mountain.
So I'm kind of curious. This is something I've been ruminating on with this record. Do you think the drums were programmed after the guitars were written? Because they are not adhering to any sort of conventional rhythmic structure. Yeah. I mean, what, what's fascinated me listening through that was just like, and through all the samples, really, is how like, it's not like there's no sense of, you you hear nods to all sorts of set set rhythmic forms from metal, right? You just got mm -hmm. a bit of a nod to a metal chord chug passage, right? Um, you you get all sorts of these ideas that come in, but then like just when you think you've got an idea fixed for like two measures, the emphasis changes in the guitars, and the drums keep going but sound totally different rhythmically because the measures are starting at a different spot and you can't count it at all. Oh, um, yeah, no, finding the one in yes. any of these fucking songs is dude, almost impossible. Dude, that's a really good point, and that relates to what you were characterized, how you were characterizing at the beginning about eternity. And it's like, you can't find the one. Yeah, you can't find the beginning the, of any the of this shit. There's definitely rhythms there, but you can't find the one. Uh, I, I think you're probably, I hadn't thought about it that way, but you gotta be right. Because, like, how could you decide. <laughs> How could you come up with those drum beats beforehand? Well, yeah, because in this record, the drums are more of a textural instrument. They're mm -hmm. not they are not driving the music. They are not the skeleton that the music is built around. They're merely another voice in the music. They're given no greater or lesser importance than any other voice in this music, which is, which is honestly probably a direction that certain kinds of black metal need to go you know yeah well being we've talked about just getting stuck in standard forms and one of those is getting locked in around well okay four or eight of this drum beat right um and you know often the paradox is right often those are the bands with the least interest in drumming mm -hmm. uh yeah, no, I feel that. Well, you know, with the Vergeblichite, or Vergeblichite we were listening to a while ago, right? Yeah, that yeah. Is, um, that has very eccentric drumming on it. It is very eccentric drumming, and also the parts are decentered. That is, like, none of them jumps out as the lead. Mm-hmm. So there's something like that here. I would, say the, I would say the guitars here clearly are leading, but the drums are definitely demoted from their role as, like, rhythmic grid. Yeah. Yeah, mm. which is fascinating because they're programmed drums, which is like the yeah. default is they're a rhythmic grid, but not which is, at all here. Which is smart, right? That's medium-specific in a really interesting way. One way to deal with programmed drums is to say, we're going to be honest about the programmed drums, and I'm going to make industrial blast beat war metal, right? Yeah. You know, the other way to deal with it is to do something like this, I suppose, where you take advantage of the fact that you can do them in post-production and just uh, make them up as you go. Yeah, every every <laughs> stroke, every stroke on the drums merely exists because it is the moment in time where <laughs> that stroke makes sense. It has yeah, yeah, yeah. nothing yeah. to do with like establishing a rhythm for the music. It just, it is a pure sound texture that has a purpose. Like the symbols, like the crash symbols mm -hmm. are purely to accent certain moments of the guitar. They don't repeat. They're almost entirely random. Those were absolutely programmed 
after the fact. Like, the craft symbols on this mm-hmm. are just used as textural accents. There's no pattern to them. I mean, how could you imagine <laughs> where the bass drums would come, go and... You can imagine versions of these songs, at least some of them, parts that have the bass drums filled in under, and you could plot some blast beats under them or whatever, right? But, like, yeah. to imagine where, which parts would be filled in and which others would be left strangely blank, I think you have to do it after the fact. Um, yeah, there, because there like, aren't, there aren't he, like, parts that it he, makes sense This guy for. is <laughs> so good at unlearning preserving many of the things that are most fundamental about black metal and just exciting heavy music in general while mm-hmm. unlearning so many of the preconceived constraints about it like who says a double bass part has to have a snare drum oh here's the snare drum here's your motorhead beat oh there's no snare drum anymore and now the emphasis is falling on the one mm. <laughs> like, it's uh it's it's so it's well, so the one perfect. that doesn't exist, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Now, now, it, now, now it's a downbeat riff, right? Now it's a downbeat beat. Um, so, yeah, I mean, God, this is so cool. Uh, yeah, and, you know, I, I said on my notes about the Living Mountain, but we've already talked about this. Is like, yeah, this is a good example of the need to go beyond black metal. Very different approach from some of the other things we've heard. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, maybe the, maybe the riff... We must overcome the riff, right? Yeah. Um, no, I, I think if there was any evidence to that, it might be yeah. this record. It's overcome like, the riff out happens? of love for. Overcome the yeah. riff out of love for the riff. <laughs> yeah. What What happens when we transcend the riff form as the fundamental unit of this music? Well, I would argue that once you do that, it's no longer black metal, and that's okay. I would say that black metal doesn't have to be riff. Or, I would say that black metal is more oriented toward melody than riff, which distinguishes yeah. it from death metal. However, it's definitely no longer metal, and I'm sympathetic to it no longer being black metal, just simply because when, you know, we've said this before, like, right, the, the American stuff, right, the outlaw rock, ding, 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 copyrighted terminus term, <laughs> um, uh, is clearly different in a lot of important ways, right? Yeah. And also this music's been around for, four, you know, 30 years and we love it to death, but come on, time to keep moving, right? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, so this is, I'm pretty sympathetic to this not being Black Battle. It's it's clearly part of the tradition and it has the spirit, but it's like, we need to, yeah, yeah, I, I get what you mean. Um, you know, in, in some way, like if you wanted to identify the riffs on this, okay, great. This record has 120 riffs. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> you know, right. This record's 55 minutes long. Um, there's a rate of about... No, it probably has more like 200 riffs. It's about four <laughs> riffs per minute. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's go to Paths of Wisdom. Um, and I, I do, for my, I'll just... For my lead-in, it's just... Uh, Listen for the kind of abstracted hardcore stuff, which suggests he's not just stuck in the, you know, cult black metal silo. Listen to the the bass, which we've already talked about, which is very simple but extremely important. And, you know, also just, okay, I'll be the guy. I'll pick the big climactic moment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm intrigued to hear this because, like, this is not a... 
a record with peaks and valleys the way we understand them. No, you know? this is just this is just like the one thing that's close to it, and probably the one thing that's close to like a epic release in the way you'd normally conceive of it in black metal. That's fair. All right. one thing I, I I feel like I have to say is like the samples of this do not do it justice this has to be taken as a whole um, the weight and the scope of this music are and a, a crucial part of it and uh, real quick I just I need to read the lyrics to this song Paths of Wisdom because they're they're perfect. All right. The like the English is a little spotty in a couple places, but as it should if, be. Yes, as it should be. But if you like black metal, or if you love black metal like we do, you should get it. So it goes. The forest became silent soon, letting all the creatures to fall asleep. The moon always watches it. And the soul always wants to go back there. But we can't bring the past back. The old paths were covered with snow. The giant is dead for a long. His body became a mountain, so the trees grow on it. So we will also become soil and ashes. The hero left a legacy for us, but we no longer can't understand it. 
I want to stay here to listen to the wind forever. Fuck. Just cut, just cut the show there. You think so? Yeah, just cut the show there. <laughs>